Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to another episode of The Kuehl Show. I am your host today, the insider of the insiders, Tyler Kuehl. And let me tell you guys, another humongous show today. Not just because of the fact that there is so much going around the National Hockey League or the National Men's Hockey League. We're supposed to be having a game right now, but we'll get to that later on. But also because of the fact that we have a guest coming on that's going to talk about a team that, guys, I'll be honest with you, I wasn't so sure about heading into this season. We'll get to all that and more. But of course, you are here with us live on 12 Ounce Sports. Thank you once again to our lovely sponsor, 12 Ounce Sports, right down there in the corner, if you can kind of see it, if you're looking. But make sure you go on there and check out all their awesome shows, including us, because, you know, we like we like talking to you guys because, you know, it's fun here on 12 Ounce Sports. Make sure you also check out our lovely sponsors, of course, which includes mybookie.ag down there in that corner. Check it out because guess what, guys? Sunday, something called the, the Super Bowl. Can I say that? The Super Bowl without people getting all... Oh my goodness, What's what's what do you mean the Super Bowl? Don't you mean the big game? No, guys, I know what I'm talking about. I can say the Super Bowl because unfortunately, well, unfortunately for me, fortunately for the copyright issues, I, I, we're not popular enough to really have pe- lawyers coming at us like crazy, so we're okay in that retrospect. But also, we have to thank our lovely, awesome, amazing, super astounding, a crazy awesome sponsor there in Second String Leather Company. Got them up there in the corner. Got them on my laptop. They have a huge sale going on right now, guys. Wallets, bathroom bags, keychain wall or keychains. They have not just their usual waffle board wallets that I have. They also got their specialized wallets as well. They have literally everything. Of course, remember, they got those earrings. They got shirts. They have a sale going across the board right now on secondstringleathercompany.com. So go check that out. Second String Leather Company, hashtag crafted from the crease. And man, guys, I tell you, if you don't feel like getting their stuff, I, I understand. I understand, obviously. But make sure, though, you check out our awesome merch, our own merch here, the TKS merch, the TKS line on teespring.com slash store slash the dash QL dash show this folks is going to be a very intriguing show today because in just a few minutes not quite yet we're going to hold off on our guests but we're going to have awesome gentleman writes for pinsburg pensburg on sb nation we're gonna be having jimmy rixner coming on better known as hooks orpic on there to talk about the pittsburgh penguins because we haven't talked about them a whole lot yet this year a team that i picked to be on the outside of the playoff picture in that eastern division however as we have seen over the past few games, uh, well, um, I'm a, I'm definitely off with that prediction because they are looking really good right now. Then again, I've also said the Oilers were going to finish last in the North Division, and we saw that game yesterday between them and Ottawa, and I can tell you right now, I was wrong on that one as well. So there's a lot of picks that I made that were wrong So we'll get to all that and more a little bit later on in the show. Like I said, we'll have Jimmy Rickson coming on here in just over 10 minutes now here on the Cule show. Excuse me, I had to burp there. Had had a lot had a couple of good pork chops before the show today, so I'm I'm a little bit a little gassy, so if I start belching out loud, I do apologize. So, let's quickly get into the news. We'll get into the NWHL news a little bit later on simply because of the fact that as of right now, we are not quite sure on what is on if that what that means for the entire tournament because the NWHL is supposed to have their third and the rubber match of their best of three series between Buffalo and Boston. But obviously that's not going to happen today. We'll get into a little bit more of that later on in today's program. So you're just going to have to wait for all of that. 
as I'm quickly just sharing stuff here on the social media because guess what, guys? You can follow us on all of our awesome social media because you can follow us on 12 Ounce Sports or you can follow us on at The Kula Show, whether you're on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram. Be sure to check us out anywhere, anytime on The Kula Show. I'm just making sure I save it to our Facebook fans because I know there's a few of you out there few of you out there that are tuning into Facebook. Now, I, as I share that, I'm like, you guys probably haven't seen it yet. So, but regardless, so let's get into a couple bits of news here. Before we get too far into the show, before we get too far along, before we run into Jimmy Rixner's interview here, like I said, in less than 10 minutes now here on TKS, the big news coming over the weekend, I, well, there's a lot of news, obviously, but the, probably the biggest that has literally torn apart not say torn apart, but absolutely just torn through. There we go. Torn through social media. That is the story of Tony D'Angelo. Now, I, I'm not going to spend too much time on this. Now, the reason why I say I'm not going to spend a whole lot of time on it is because it's been talked about in spades for so long at this point, guys. Tony D'Angelo, for those, I guess, that don't know, quick backstory. Tony D'Angelo, right-handed defenseman, really talented, just signed a two-year contract with the New York Rangers, two years by $4.8 million. Now you say, oh, Tyler, well, that means he's a good defenseman. He is. He's a good, you know, he's a solid guy. He can play both sides if he wants to. However, it's what he's been, the type of character he is off the ice. He's posted a lot of racist comments. He's spoken, you know, to a lot of players incorrectly. And apparently this goes all the way back to his junior days back in Saginaw in the OHL. So this is nothing new with him. And then it all kind of boiled over this past Saturday in the Rangers' overtime loss to Pittsburgh. There was a mixed communication between Alexander Georgiev, the goaltender for the Rangers, and Tony D'Angelo. Afterwards, there was a confrontation, and apparently Georgiev punched or hit Tony D'Angelo, and that's kind of where it stops in terms of definitive uh, definitive results of what happened during that event. Now, I say that because... That's what Elliot Friedman reported on his latest 31 Thoughts podcast and was reported on Hockey Central as well today. And I, there have been a lot of rumors what else happened. They were saying Chris Kreider was involved. Tony D'Angelo went after Georgiev. There's been all speculation of what happened. Now, I'm not quite sure to what extent everything did happen or what the order of events were. However, all we know is that Tony D'Angelo was then put on waivers on Sunday. That was obviously big news because that means he could be no longer a Ranger. And just the character that he what that he is kind of just kind of sent hockey Twitter and hockey social media for that matter to a frenzy. Everyone it was kind of like a celebratory thing. And and I get it because Tony D'Angelo, he's a good defenseman, talented as I'll get out. But the problem is, is the fact that he making sure no one sex me here. I'll stop picking my nose. Thanks, Dad, for telling me I'm not picking my nose. I got a runny nose for some reason, all right? Gets a little chilly in here. I may have to grab some Kleenex here during a commercial break. But so so Tony D'Angelo then clears waivers. Now, under the guidelines of the National Hockey League, that means he is free to go to the taxi squad, free to stay with the team, and what have you. We saw that with Jason Spezza. We saw that with Tyler Johnson and a lot of other players. Luke Shen with the Tampa Bay Lightning. So... There could be the possibility. However, the character that Tony D'Angelo is, is what makes this a very unique scenario. The problem with all this now is the fact that you have to get rid of Tony D'Angelo because obviously he's a cancer of the locker room. He's cancer with not just the Rangers, but teams before. And that's why this problem continually follows him around. 
because he's very outspoken. Unfortunately, it's not in a very teammate-friendly manner. So I'm not going to go too much further into it. Long story short, Tony D'Angelo's time with the Rangers is pretty much over. I don't see why the team would have any reason to keep him around. Now, granted, there's a lot of people out there that are looking at Jeff Gordon and saying, hey, and Glenn Sather too, saying, hey, guys, own up to this because it's for you guys keeping him around that not not necessarily encourages this type of behavior, but doesn't try to change it for the better. So Tony D'Angelo is no longer going to be a Ranger. For all we know, there may be a buyout involved here because he's at that age where if he were to be bought out, only that he'd only have to get paid one third of his salary, at least one third of his cap hit would only go up against the cap. So if it's $4.8 million, that'd be one third. So that's three, 16, $1.6 million. Yes. Yeah. Right. Am I right? Yeah. $1.6 million. Tyler can do math. Tyler math's hard. So that is the story with Tony D'Angelo. Now, a couple of recent news that literally came up today the New Jersey Devils game will be postponed for tomorrow, and they will be on the COVID protocol absent list from the NHL through this coming Saturday. This just dropping literally in the past hour. There was rumors that there were already game was going to get postponed tomorrow against Pittsburgh. Now it's looking like the rest of the week for the New Jersey Devils. So the Devils will be out of action for the next few days. The other big news that came out today was the the schedule change. For the Vegas Golden Knights, because remember, Vegas actually had to cancel their two games against San Jose and their second game of their back-to-back against the Anaheim Ducks. So the NHL, a couple hours ago, decided they were going to tweet out, what's going to happen? Pretty much, long story short, let's see if I can get this out here. Here we go. St. Louis and Vegas, the game was initially scheduled for January the 28th, has now moved to March 22nd. Vegas and San Jose, that was initially for February 1st, now it was moved to February 13th. Vegas and San Jose, that was moved, that was supposed to be February 3rd, moved to February 25th. Anaheim versus San Jose, that was initially be February 13th, now April 6th. Vegas versus Anaheim, that was supposed to be February 26th, moved to April 23rd. St. Louis and San Jose, that was initially February 26th, now moved to March 8th. <sighs> you get that? <laughs> If you go on the Twitter right now, if you go on the NHL.com, they'll make sure they post it there for you. A little bit easier than me trying to ramble it off as fast as possible because obviously there is a lot more into it. And that's just because COVID obviously, guys, is affecting the National Hockey League. This is big news because we're starting to see it now, guys. We are starting to see the problems with COVID. I'll get into it a little bit more later on in the show because it'll have to pertain now a little bit with the NWHL, because remember, the Metropolitan Riveters had to pull out of the NWHL tournament and the Isabel Cup simply because of the fact of their positive COVID tests that forced them to leave the bubble. So, and there's a lot of been issues with players coming in and out of the bubble, apparently. We'll get into that more when we get to the NWHL scoreboard portion of the show. So we'll get to all that in just a little bit more. A couple minutes here, we'll be talking to Hooks Orpic, better known as Jimmy Rixner of Pennsburg from SB Nation. Talk about the Pittsburgh Penguins here in just a little bit. Like I said, we also got college hockey scoreboard coming up later on. We'll talk about Alexander Texier's sick goal in the shootout last week. We'll talk about Connor McDavid torching the Leafs and him and Leon Dreisaitl absolutely running through the Ottawa Senators. We'll also talk about a couple good goaltending games. We'll get, like I said, more into the COVID issues, what to watch for, and guess what, folks? NHL Department of Player Safety Talk. I didn't want to talk about it again. I thought I was going to be done talking about it, but I guess what, kiddos? Uh, there's a couple events that happened this past week. One actually got a suspension. One didn't. One had to do with a hit to the head. One didn't. 
I can tell you which one actually got a suspension. Welcome to the National Hockey League. So we got all that and more coming up here. So, folks, we're going to take a quick break. I know it's an early one, but we're going to take a break because when we come back, we'll have Jimmy Rixner from SB Nation's Pennsburg to talk about the Pens. So you are watching or listening to The Kewl Show here on 12 Ounce Sports. We'll be right back after this. And welcome back, everyone, to The Kewl Show here on 12 Ounce Sports. Now, let's, folks, let's, let's get into some NHL talk, or at least some team-specific talk. We talked about some COVID issues before, and Tony D'Angelo, which I'm sure everyone was so excited to talk about. Let's now talk a little bit more about a certain National Hockey League team, that a team that I wasn't so sure about coming into this season, but I have since been proven wrong just based on the fact of, you know, they've been a pretty good hockey team to start off the year. So with that... We're going to talk about the Pittsburgh Penguins with none other than the managing editor and one of the writers for Pennsburg on SB Nation. Ladies and gentlemen, he is known as Hooks Orpic, better known as Jimmy Rixner. Jimmy, how are we doing today? Doing great. Thanks for having me on. Jimmy, this, first of all, how are things in your neck of the woods? Are you, are you outside Pittsburgh there or are you from around the area? From around the area. I'm actually in northern Virginia right now, but we're getting a little bit of snow, but nothing too bad. Yeah, because we we got we're here in West Michigan. We did we we missed a we dodged a bullet because apparently Chicago just got annihilated. So thankfully the lakes slowed us down. How are how are things though in Northern Virginia? Obviously COVID is still everywhere. Starting to kind of get a little bit maybe a little bit worse again. How are things in your neck of the woods? Yeah, it seems like it's maybe getting a little worse. I don't know. I think everyone's just tired of of life as it is. But there's nothing you can really do right now. So I guess we're just trying to hang in there and survive. That is seemingly the way it is. And and I'll be honest, Jimmy, this was seeming like something for the season for the Pittsburgh Penguins that I thought they were going to be the one trying to, you know, just survive and advance. But however, they have seemingly gotten through it for the most part. However, we got to start off with the big news that came out recently, and that is the departure of Jimmy Rutherford. Now, Jimmy's been there for a long time. He won two Stanley Cups with the team as the GM, made a lot of big moves to get that team to be a cup contender and a champion once again. I mean, what is your initial reaction? Because you recently wrote about it on Pennsburg's website, talking about the departure of Jimmy Rutherford. What does this do for this franchise, losing a big name and a big guy like Jimmy Rutherford? More than anything, I think the timing of it and the, the suddenness of the decision, because he even said, like, you know, it's hasn't really been discussed exactly what happened, but apparently he had some kind of disagreement with, people above him, which really just means Penn's president and CEO, David Morehouse, and then owner Mario Lemieux and owner Ron Burkle. But ownership's really hands-off. So it, it probably was some disagreement with David Morehouse, the Penguins president, and Jim Rutherford just said, you know what, I'm out of here. Like, if that's the way it is, I'm not going to be here. His contract was ending in June, but kind of the, the uh, like, just notion was this job was going to be his as long as he wanted it. Like, they were going to keep him. They had no problems with him. But he just decided, and just quickly, before the seventh game of the season, when you, like, never see a general manager resign for his own reasons to want to step away, but he just had his own reasons to want to step away, and he said, see you guys later, and that's what happened. You know, that's something that I don't want to say you don't see happen often because we just had that with John Chaka less, well, almost a year ago now at this point, but it's a big deal because he's done so much for this franchise. I mean, when he came on board 
after, I mean, it had been so long since that 09 Cup because, you know, people think, oh, the Penguins have been a dynasty. Well, there were a couple years there that, you know, they just weren't able to be a successful. They couldn't make that deep run of the playoffs. But he was able to come in and get the job done for this team and get the right pieces, going out and getting a Phil Kessel and getting, you know, veteran guys like Ron Hainsey, just guys to, to help support Crosby, Malk, and Latang. And then, you know, the development of Matt Murray to become the Stanley Cup goaltender that he was. He did a lot for this team to make sure that they were going to be a contender. And that's what led to those cups in 16 and 17. Yeah, there's no doubt about it. If you look at it, Rutherford got hired in May of 2014. So two years later, basically in June of 2016, they'd won the Stanley Cup. And he turned that whole roster over except for Sidney Crosby, Evgeny Malkin, Chris Letang, Marc-Andre Fleury, Chris Kunitz, and Oli Mata. Those were the only like six players that were there in 2014 that were still there when they won it in 2016. So whether it was Rutherford getting Nick Bonino, Carl Hagelin, Phil Castle, all the guys you touched on, Trevor Daly was a big part of that too. It just really helped the team, and he shaped it to where they won back-to-back cups, which no team has done in the Stanley in the salary cap era, and I think probably no team will do in the salary cap era for a really long time, just because it's so hard these days. Yeah, especially with this flat cap coming in here, I'm sure any team. I mean, shoot, we see with St. Louis, 2019 Cup champions, two years later, and are they going to make the playoffs? I don't know, but that's just how that's the NHL we live in now. Now, Patrick Alvin takes over right now, and he was the director of European scouting and assistant general manager this season. I, is he the permanent guy, or is he just going to be the interim guy before eventually Lemieux and the gang find someone else that they think they can be the GM for a longer period of time? Yeah, they do like Patrick Alvin a lot. He, like you mentioned, he was the scout, and he was he had worked his way up the ranks from the scouting department. But he was only named the assistant general manager this October. So just in terms of management, he's very very new, just like twelve or thirteen weeks, which is almost unheard of for anyone to rise that quickly to full general manager status. So the sense is right now it will be an external hire. They're going to let Patrick Alvin interview, but he's a guy that I think will need seasoning for probably four or five years working in his current role to learn the ranks and build the relationships and get up there to be a successful regular general manager. So I definitely see them going outside the organization. They're supposed to be starting interviews here soon and because they want to move quickly, apparently within the next two or three weeks or so and get somebody in the seat. And I do think it'll be somebody coming from the outside in. Because that'd be big, too, because that at least gets him accustomed to the franchise before the offseason. Whether or not he makes any moves, the, the, he or she makes the moves at the deadline, you know, it could be just, hey, let's just get acquainted with everybody. Because I remember Brendan Shanahan came in during the 2014-15 season as president for the Leafs. But it was, hey, here's what we are now. What do you want to do with us? And that's ended up, you know, cleaning the house that season after that. But. I mean, do you do you think there's any guy in particular, any GM out there? Because people are just throw out the names of guys. I think there was a graphic I saw in Sportsnet, and it was just names of guys that had been on recently. Ronnie Hextall, Shirelli, and just and I'm looking at these names. And I'm like, these are the best that they're gonna pick. Like, I mean, obviously, just because they have experience, is probably why they're being considered. But do you think there's a, another name out there that people aren't talking about that could be the GM? The name that I, I think really should be considered is Tom Fitzgerald in New Jersey, which is kind of weird because he's the sitting general manager of the Devils. But something odd's going on there. They only gave him a one-year contract, and it doesn't seem like they're really that committed to him or invested in him. Like I think they want John Chaka themselves. So that that could play out like just leave Alden as interim GM for the rest of this year and circle back to Fitzgerald in the offseason. But yeah, other than that, I think... 
they're just going to have to try to find a retread. But a lot of that stuff was said about Mike Sullivan when he got hired as coach. He was the coach of the Bruins. That didn't go so well. No one really knew. So I think I'm just trying to keep an open mind, really, to see who they bring in or what, what kind of ideas they'll, they'll find. Yeah, Tom Fitzgerald, I know there was part of the thing in Saturday headlines where they said that the Devils were not going to allow him to discuss But Of course, why would you want to lose your GM in the middle of the season yeah. to another team? That'd be kind of weird. But regardless, the Penguins, though, despite all the GM stuff, all that talk, all that mumbo-jumbo, 5-3-1 and one on the year. And I'll be honest, Jimmy, I picked them to finish fifth in the East Division. I thought the Rangers would be better, and I thought it was going to be Boston up at the top and Philly at the top, and then... You know, who else would have jumped in the fourth spot? But I thought Pittsburgh just, I thought the, and Washington, of course, is still seeming like a contender, even though I swear they just don't, I think they just don't care anymore. But according to their record, they do. But I I didn't know if Pittsburgh was going to be there, though. I just thought, you know, the team's getting depleted. You know, Tristan Jari is your starting goaltender. I'm like, I like him, but can Casey DeSmith fill in? But yet they're still doing okay. What is your initial reaction to the first nine going on 10 games tonight for the Pittsburgh Penguins. The one big thing I think is schedule wise tonight will be the fourth time they play the Rangers who, like you said, are in last place and maybe not doing as well as expected. So that's kind of helped because the Penguins are three and zero against the Rangers. And when you play maybe a lower end team, you need to beat them. And that's what they've done. And really the Penguins have had, had two wins against the Capitals who they've played well over the years, generally speaking, but Pittsburgh's done not well with Boston losing two games, and they lost two games to uh, Philly, or Philly, one in overtime to Boston. But so that's kind of the thing. Like the good team, the teams maybe considered better than them or beating them, but the Penguins are beating teams lower than them. And I was surprised too because I think it's going to come down to like the Islanders and the Penguins for one spot to make the playoffs, and the Islanders usually overperform. And they haven't gotten off to a good start, so that's kind of helped. I think the Penguins stats for status right now, at least. Yeah, I, I just, I, I look at this team and I you see that there's guys, you know, Jake Gensel's playing well and Tristan Jari's playing well, but of course, Casey DeSmith is starting tonight, second game in a row. We'll get to those two a little bit later on, but it all still starts and all still comes down to number 87. It's been that way for, gosh, we're, we're literally just a couple years away from saying two decades of Sidney Crosby. I'm old. <laughs> I feel, I'm feeling old. I remember when I was a kid, I'm like, hey, this guy's pretty good. Now I'm an adult and, you know, about to pay a mortgage and all that good stuff. But <laughs> what is making Crosby still tick after all these years? And every year it's like, oh, Crosby's getting older, guys. But this Penguins team is still good. And, I, and I've said this before with Washington, Washington and Pittsburgh, just because they're very similar. As long as eight and 87 are on the team, they're going to try to win because those two guys are going to try to want to win. And Crosby, every year, has shown that he is still willing to push this team to be a playoff team and hopefully go a little bit further. And he's had a really good start to the season, Jimmy. He has. And, I mean, his drive is just incredible because he's accomplished so much, whether it's Olympics, Stanley Cups, MVP, scoring titles. He's done pretty much everything there is to do in hockey. And now, I mean, I think it's just a legacy situation. Like, there's already some talk about would Crosby slot into the top five all-time and now he's getting in the conversation, at least, with names like Gretzky and Lemieux and Bobby Orr and Gordie Howe. And other than those four, I mean, he's probably one of the next guys you'd have to say as far as just having the best careers. So I think that's driving him. He trains a lot with Nathan McKinnon in the offseason, who's from the same town he's from. So they're good friends. And I think seeing that young buck come along also kind of gives him encouragement to keep training, keep it, keep it moving, and really just put a stamp on the rest of his career the way he wants to. He it's it's something special. I, I 
I have slowly turned to say maybe Connor McDavid is the best player in the world because I kept saying, yeah, McDavid's good, he's skilled, but if I want a team to, that can win now, I would still pick Crosby as my leader of my team because he knows how to win. And McDavid, as good as he is, geez, he, I mean, him and Dreisaitl are really just tearing apart the North Division, but Crosby still knows, he knows what it takes to get those 16 wins come playoff time. So Crosby still has it, and I think he still will. He may not be as fast as he was, may not have the same shot, but good Lord, he's got the still one of the best backhanders in the league. But he, like I said, he's not been the only guy, though, right now for the you know Pens. You have Gensel chipping in, Malkin's still there. But there are two guys that I really want to focus on, two guys that I've really kept my eye on for some time. One of them, and this is because I'm a big college hockey guy, Teddy Bluger. <laughs> Yeah, so I, I I love Teddy Bluger, not just because there was the, the Evan Huber cartoon so long ago. Gosh, it seemed like forever ago when they were saying help Teddy Bluger. And, you know, I saw him grow up through Minnesota State. And I'm like, this guy can be something if he gets a good shot. And now with, you know, with a lot of guys, you know, Patrick Hornquist going to Florida, you know, there's opportunities for him to move up the lineup. And he's looked good. He has looked good. And that's really been a long development. He was drafted in 2012. And just last year was his rookie year in the NHL. So he's a guy who played all four years of college. He played in the AHL for a bit. And just incrementally, bit by bit, he's gotten better and better. They wanted him to work on his skating and his speed a little more. And now I think that's pretty competent. So, yeah, he's doing great. Like, he plays – sometimes he plays a fourth-line role. But, like, his ice time always ends up as, like, the third-line center really is what he is. And that's what he kind of plays as. So, yeah, just every year, every month, it just seems like he gets a little better and better. He scored that three-on-five goal a couple weeks ago. It was just awesome. So, yeah, Teddy Bluger, just good stuff happens when he's on the ice. And that's a real good quality to have. If you have a guy that can just that he may not be he'll he may never be a superstar. He may never be a 70 point guy. But if you can find a guy that can give you 50 points around a year and be able to play in his own zone and do the little things right, be a role player that can produce. That is what helps a team continue to win like Pittsburgh has done for the last decade. Yeah, that's what you need. And that's when they got good and were winning the Stanley Cups in 2016 and 17. That's Jake Gensel stepped up, Matt Murray stepped up, Brian Russ. They developed Brian Dumoulin. A lot of young core, a young wave came in, and now they do need more players like that because most of the time they don't make a lot of money, so they're salary cap friendly to work around the stars. And like you said, take the defensive zone draws, kill penalties, just do all the little stuff that successful teams do. Right. And one of the guys they just picked up that was kind of a role player. And the reason why I ask about him is because he played for the Leafs and I'm kind of a Leafs fan. And I just want to see how my boy's doing. A guy that actually came back to the team that he was drafted by, but was traded for Phil Kessel. And I, I, I'm pretty sure if you ask Pittsburgh fans, I'm pretty sure you guys are okay with getting Phil Kessel. Those, <laughs> those, two, those two Stanley Cup rings. And as Barack Obama said, Phil Kessel is a Stanley Cup champion. Casperi Kapanen. Uh, we called him the road runner here in Toronto because he just has that kind of speed. And we saw it on in the goal on Saturday night. He's got that speed and he's, he does the same move every time on a breakaway backhand, forehand over the glove high does it every time. But yeah. even though he had, he actually didn't start the season on time because he had, I think it was immigration issues. If I'm not mistaken. Right. Yep. Yeah. Yep. So he is, is he just kind of a breath of fresh air? Like a little bit of a, that nice speed that maybe Pittsburgh's been missing out on at times. Yeah, for sure, because he, he right now is the youngest, well, not anymore, but to start the season, he was going to be the youngest forward for the Penguins, which, you know, he's not exactly young anymore. But he's a guy, like you said, he had COVID issues. He said he applied for his work visa in October. It didn't turn around until early January. So he got into town late. He didn't have that first week of practice. He missed the first couple games, and they brought him along slowly. They were playing him fourth line for a while, only 12, 13 minutes a night, but 
The past few games, he's been playing on the Malkin line, and he has Kapanen has goals in two of the last three games. Like he looks great with Malkin. Malkin's just firing, firing him the puck and letting letting Kapanen's speed do the rest. And that's a combo that I think will be really good. Uh, he's got five points in six games so far, which you know he's producing. He's every time he steps on the ice, he's carrying the puck. He's showing his speed. So yeah, so far just exactly what you wanted to see for the Penguins to pick him back up. And the great thing about it, like I said, this comes from watching him for years. I remember shooting him with the Marlies. That's how long I've been watching Casper Kapanen. He's a guy that can play the power play, but he can play in your top six. He can, if you need him on the power play, Leafs didn't use him a whole lot because they didn't have room with this $35 million power play that they have now. But they, I mean, he was able, he's able to do everything for you. And once again, you talk about Teddy Bluger being a role player. If you have a guy like Casper Kapanen that can play shutdown role fourth line or top line scoring with Malkin, that is even just even better Swiss Army knife that you can use in Pittsburgh. That is, and the Penguins have long played a speed game. They're starting to get older, so maybe they don't have the same kind of speed. And that was just huge to get them, like, add those fresh legs, add a guy who can play up and down the lineup, do what you need to do. But, yeah, I think they would definitely want them to be scoring goals or setting up goals, and so far so good on that, even though it's pretty early. Now, the big question for me, and this is why I think I had Pittsburgh kind of low in my predictions. Now, like I said, my predictions can just be thrown out the window because pretty sure I picked Ottawa to finish above Edmonton in the North because I thought Edmonton's <laughs> goaltending was going to be that bad. I'm an idiot. I thought the Leafs were going to be the best team in the North. Well, Montreal is telling me to shut up. So so just my fifth place pred- Pittsburgh prediction, we can just toss that aside for now, Jimmy. But the reason why I said it was because I was not sure about the goaltending. Tristan Jari showed, I mean, he was an all-star last year, but I have seen, we've all seen it, goaltenders that are flash in the pan. Heck, we thought Marc-Andre Fleury was a flash in the pan for an extremely long time just because he couldn't get it done in the playoffs. But so far this year, him and Casey DeSmith have both held their own. Now, yes, every so often they allow a squeaker. Every goaltender does. I mean, heck, this is the year if there's going to be a bad a goaltender with a, you know, a Vesna goaltender with a 900 save percentage, this will be the year to do it. But they both looked solid, and... I don't think there's the big question mark for the Pittsburgh Penguins in goal. Yeah, I think those guys need to play a little better like right now, but uh, a lot of times it's defense, team defense dependent, I think, for the Penguins. If they're not playing good team defense, they don't, you know, they kind of hang their goalies out to dry with the style of play because they don't always backjack that hard. And, you know, getting back on defense isn't always a priority for this team a lot of times. So, I think that can be a problem. But, yeah, Tristan Jerry, he made the all-star team last year. He's the guy now. Like, technically, his skills are really good. Um, Confidence-wise, I'm not sure if he's really where they need him to be this year yet. And like you said, uh, Casey DeSmith started two in a row. He did really good when he was in the NHL two seasons ago now. So he's he's just kind of like a no-name guy. But, you know, if he can give a decent enough performance from the backup role, then that's really what they need and what they're looking for. And he's won the majority of his games, so he's been able to do that. Yeah, I look. I look at their numbers right now. Jari's got a three nine three goals against the average, three oh five for Casey DeSmith, eight seven five save percentage for DeSmith. Everyone's like, "Oh my gosh, those are terrible numbers." Well, look at the goal scoring around this league right now. Those numbers are about where you would expect, and especially when you have when you're looking at that East Division that's got Washington still clicking on offense, and you're just waiting for the Rangers' offense to come around. They had a good night the other night, but this is an interesting tandem, but the overall expectations of this Pittsburgh Penguins team, I think this kind of carried over a little bit from last year, the disappointment of getting swept by Montreal in that qualifying round. Jimmy, 
where do you think this team's going to finish? Because I, I personally, I mean, I, I'm not sure if this team is ready to make that jump to be East Division champs, but they've turned my thought process to, dang, they could still be a good playoff team, though. Where do you think Pittsburgh will end up this year? This year, uh, honestly, I think they're tracking towards fourth place in the East. Like I said, I think it's going to come down to the Penguins and Islanders for one spot by the end of the season. And look, I mean, nobody thought the Capitals were going to do anything in 2018, which was not their best team, even though they played the best one the Cup. St. Louis was last place in January. They went on to win the Cup. So, I mean, I guess as long as you make the playoffs, you have a chance. You never know what could happen with injuries and goaltending and all that good stuff. So I think that's where they're at right now is they just want to make it to the playoffs and then see what happens with all their experience and depth if maybe the stars come alive and can help them win win a round or two. And then before you know it, you know, you just keep going. And that's kind of what they did in 2017 when Chris Letang was hurt and they didn't have a, a great defense, but they just kept finding ways to win. And, you know, you make the playoffs, anything can happen in the NHL. Yeah, we learned that when we got when the Leafs got Ron Haynes of the year after. We learned really quick that if Ron Haynes is your top pairing defenseman, that yeah. the team around him must be pretty good because, golly, Ron Haynes was a that was a tough pill to swallow for Leafs fans. And uh, this is kind of my last question, Jimmy. It, it doesn't unfortunately have to do with this year's team, but just looking down the line, maybe putting you on the spot here. How many more years for Sid, not the kid? How many more years for Crosby? Do you think he's going to make it twenty plus? Do you think he's going to play twenty? Or do you think that for him, it's just any year now he may just decide to hang him up? What do you think? Oh, I think he's got, like, as long as his health holds up, I think he's got a lot to go. He's 33 years old, which isn't, like, deathly old, even though he's been playing for so long now. Um, His contract, I think, runs through 24, 25. So he's got many, many years under contract. And I think he will extend, you know, as long as he's healthy, just because he's wired, like, just hockey, 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 everything. I don't see him walking away, really. I think he's 37 or 38, maybe, when his contract ends. So I could see him staying on even after that. But I definitely think we have a few more years, hopefully, with him, as long as his health holds out. 2025 is what it goes through. And I tell you right now, <laughs> he's the first guy to ever sign. Like, Because I remember there was a big deal with the Leafs with, I think, Marner signed at 10, 8, 9, 3, because he wore 93 in juniors. And Mar- Matthews was 10, 6, 3, 4, because he's number 34. Crosby started all that. He signed with for $8.7 million. It's, yeah. it's, it's too perfect. But I, you know what, Crosby, listen, I, it's almost funny because you want to have a mo- youth movement with a lot of teams, but, and kind of looking at, just looking forward to possibly, if the NHL allows the players to go to the Olympics in Beijing, I don't know how you don't put Crosby, despite how good McDavid may be and how Jonathan Taves, hopefully, you know, hopefully knock on Woody comes back around, but this youth movement through the Canadian system, I don't know how you not pick Crosby as Team Canada's captain still. He's still the guy. He's still the face of Team Canada, it seems like. Yeah, he's been their captain two straight Olympics. So, yeah, I think he's going to have that, you know, because his leadership obviously is just growing and growing. So, yeah, I think he would be their pick for sure. That would be for sure. We've been chatting with... Jimmy Rixner, better known as Hooks Orpic on SB Nation's Pennsburg. Jimmy's going to hop off here. He's going to get ready for a big game tonight for the Penguins and the Rangers. That game will be on at 7 o'clock. That'll be on NBC Sports Network. We may throw that on the TV here in the studio. We keep tabs on a pretty good hockey game, mainly because NBC is on. It's not like we have to pay for NHL.TV because it's a lot of money. And, Jimmy, if you notice our, our lovely setup here, we don't have a whole lot of money, so we can't pay for that stuff. 
Uh, you follow him, follow Jimmy here at hooks underscore Orpic. Be sure to go on there, check out all the great stuff from Pennsburg, not just Jimmy, but everyone else. They got a lot of great writers out there. Jimmy, thank you once again for taking the time today. Good luck the rest of the season, the Penguins, and hopefully see some more awesome articles from you guys. Yeah, thank you for having me on. Thanks for a good show. All right, Jimmy, we'll talk to you later, all right? All right, later. All right, that was Jimmy Rixner of Pennsburg. That was a fun guy to talk to. He was, I remember I, I called him out or called him and he's like, hey, you know, you want to talk? He's like, well, we got a game Monday night. And I thought to myself, I'm like, oh, that could be a problem. But I'm like, wait, what if you come on before? And I'm like, that's a great idea. Because thankfully, we don't have any issues with at least too many scheduling issues for the awesome and amazing Jimmy Rixner. Like I said, follow him at hooks underscore Orpic on the Twitters. I think he has an Instagram as well. It's jrix. I think jrix3, if I'm not mistaken, off the top of my head. But yeah, the Pittsburgh Penguins, I, this was a team that, I, like I said, I picked fifth. I didn't think the goaltending was going to be there, but they have done enough to win five of their first nine games. Now, yes, 5-3-1 and one isn't anything to tip their cap about, but in the East Division, which is seeing New Jersey kind of regress to what they, we thought they were going to be, the Rangers not looking too good, Boston, eh? I'm not going to go into the standings look up yet, simply because of the fact that I'm not sure on how good this team is going to be, Boston is. But the Penguins, and like, and you heard what Jimmy said, the Islanders are looking a little iffy too. I mean, Elias Sorokin played a pretty good game yesterday against the Flyers, but how long can they, how will he be able to continue to develop? If not, and you're after to rely on Simeon Varlamov, maybe it's tough for the Islanders. The Flyers, you know, they... They haven't been the best. They haven't been like the Flyers. They were at the end of the regular season last year, the team that made it to the second round of the playoffs. But they have shown that they have the ability to be the number two team in the division. That, like I said, that's why I picked. Now, I'm not going to go full scale. Oh, I'm changing my picks because, well, that's just not fair because it's being like game 82. Well, in this case, game 56 saying, hey, guys, guess what? Guess what's going to happen? This team's going to finish second. This team's going to finish first. And this team, like I told you, is going to finish out of the playoffs. Tyler, you changed your answers. I know what I did. No, I won't do any change in my answers because guess what? If you can't hold up to your own answers and your own mess ups, then what are you even doing, right? If you say something wrong, why don't you own up to it and tell them why you were wrong? That made sense, right? No, it didn't. Not at all. But yeah, we'll definitely keep the guys on Pittsburgh this season and all the East Division because... I'm pretty sure the only pick I have right in terms of what team's going to finish where right now is looking like Tampa. Tampa in that central division because Carolina's look Carolina's looking better. My goodness, who would they hold 11 shots the other night? I uh, Oh, Chubas Mud. Pull my phone out. I know I'm cheating, guys. I know. I know what I'm doing here. I just got to find out who exactly did not. It was, it was incredible how defense, and that's one of those things. Oh, is their games against Dallas? They won because they won. They swept the Stars over the weekend, and yes, they held the Dallas Stars to eleven shots on goal on Saturday, only twenty nine yesterday, and their two wins over Dallas. But Carolina, oops, I hit the mic. I'm sorry, I forgot. I can't hit the mic now. Like actually hit the mic because see, like that happens, and you have a weird sound with it. It's I'm getting used to the headset guy. As you can tell, I got awesome beats on now. These are not mine. These are the wife's. She's had these for a while. Kind of looking cool here because my other one, the ones I wore last week were kind of funny looking. So I'm like, let's go with bright red. Kind of goes with the theme, doesn't it? So 
But Carolina, though. Carolina played the Carolina hockey that made them very successful in 1819. The same Carolina defense that literally helped David Ayers get a win over the Leafs. And unfortunately, that was the Carolina Hurricanes defense that went away in the playoffs when they had to play Boston. They tried to do too much. They tried to out Boston, Boston, and it didn't work. So I think if the Hurricanes can play like the way they did on Saturday against the Stars consistently throughout this year, they're not going to do it every night. I get it. But if that can be their game plan moving forward, this can be a really tough hockey team to play against in Carolina. I just, if, if Reimer only has to make 10 saves in a game to win, holy cow. And like 10 saves because of 11 shots, not 10 saves out of 20. Not like Stuart Skinner last night or, or Matt Murray. We'll get to that game later on, folks. But in the meantime, let us, you know what we're going to do, guys? I wasn't thinking about doing this this early. But we got a little bit of time here, right? We got a little bit of time to, to kind of catch things over. Let us jump on the old NWHL scoreboard. The National Women's Hockey League with their 21-21 Isabel Cup going on right now over in the, if I can think off the top of my head right now, which I can't, NWHL scoreboard going on right now up in Lake Placid. Let's take you through what exactly happened over the past week. We'll take a break in between the two segments because there's, there's two parts of this whole story. So let's jump on over now quickly to what happened last week. On Tuesday, Minnesota Whitecaps defeating the Metropolitan Riveters 1-0. Haley Mack, second goal of the season, the game-winning goal with 10 seconds left. Amanda Levier for the Whitecaps was sensational. 38 saves shutout. Sonia Shelley, pretty good for the Riveters, 36 saves. The Toronto Six picked up their franchise's first win, a 2-1 win over the Boston Pride. Look at that, guys. Toronto beating Boston. Who would have thought, Right. Elaine Shuley with 24 saves. Trailed heading into the third period by Brooke Bockquist and Michaela Grant-Mentis. We'll say her name a few more times, getting the two goals for the six. Mentis, the game-winning goal. On Wednesday, the Connecticut Whale beat the Boston Pride 4-1. Four, four goals in the third period by the Whale, by the way. Emma Vlasic, one goal, three assists for four points. Melissa Wolf, or Wolfiler, Filer, <laughs> one goal and an assist for the Whale. And then the Toronto Six beating Buffalo 4-2. Megan Quinn, the game-winning goal, and Elaine Chile, 24 saves once again. Now, why is that important, Tyler? I mean, because, I mean, it shouldn't be important, right? Because simply because of the fact that, well, that should not that should not be a big deal. If I'm not mistaken, right? Because think of it this way. Why was Toronto, first of all, playing Buffalo? The original schedule came out that Buffalo was supposed to play Metropolitan Riveters. Now, here's why. Because of COVID, the Metropolitan Riveters had too many positive tests come out, even though they're in a bubble, and so they had to pull out of the tournament, which is why the six got inserted into the game. And that's why Toronto six played. Now, what they had to do, though, folks, is they had to do a complete and utter revamp of the tournament. No longer was it going to be a, you know, round of robin, round robin where each team gets each team plays each other, the five teams once they had to make adjustments. So with the Riveters out, by the way, they were two and one at the time, if you saw on their record, what they had to do was they had to take the five teams remaining, try to figure out what to do. They took since the six had two wins, Whitecaps had two wins, and Connecticut Whale were one and one, they had, and since the Whale had less losses technically, they made them the top three, if you will. Now, that made some people mad in Boston because Boston played more games at that point. They were one and three. However, they put them up against Buffalo, which is why, the, so what they ended up doing was Boston and Buffalo were going to play a best of three to determine who gets the fourth seed in the semifinal of the NWHL Isabel Cup. 
And those top three will play each other once. Whoever has the best record gets the one seed. And then the two teams in the middle, based on probably goal differential or whatnot, would determine who gets second and third. So now let's jump to where we were over Saturday and Sunday. Turn the music back up a little bit for you now. So here's what happened in the Boston-Buffalo series. First of all, Buffalo won game one, two to one, a close one. Lisa, excuse me, Lisa Chesson with the game-winning goal in the third period for the Buffalo Buttes. Autumn McDougal scoring the other goal for Buffalo. Carly Jackson, her first ever NWHL win, making 36 saves in the game. She looked amazing. However, it did not go so well for her in game two where the Buffalo Buttes got shut out, 6-0. Sammy Davis with her first goal for the Boston Pride. Mallory Salotis, two goals, including the game winner. And Lavisa Salander, 31 saves for the Pride. Now in the round robin action, the Toronto Six beat the Minnesota Whitecaps 4-3 on Saturday. Michaela Grant meant his two goals, including the game winner in the final minute. Sarah Eve Katu Godboot scoring her first of the season with truly making 28 saves. And then the Six play Connecticut the next night and light the Connecticut Whale up for six goals of their own right after Boston did it. On Sunday, Kenzie McNeil, two goals. Michaela Grant-Mantis having an incredible tournament. One goal, two assists for three points. Taylor Woods with a goal and an assist, including the best sell ever on the goal, where she didn't even think she was the one that scored. Julie's 25 save shout-out, the first shout-out in Toronto 6 history. Now, where does that leave us at the moment? Because, obviously, there is a lot more going on. There's two game, There's supposed to be two games tonight. Boston and Buffalo, game three, their best of three, and Minnesota, Connecticut. However... As we learned just before the top of the show from the Ice Garden, Mike Murphy, saying that tonight's game between the Whale and Whitecaps has been postponed. There has been no further further response from the NWHL about it. But what that means is the Toronto Six, who had won both games anyways, was going to get the first seed. And they're just going to maybe either do a coin flip or what, determine who gets the second and third seed in the semifinal between Connecticut and Minnesota. Now, what does that mean for the fourth seed? Boston and Buffalo will be playing tonight at 8.30. That is on the NWHL Twitch stream. We've been tweeting about it all tournament long, all season long, I guess you can say. So be sure to check that out. And we'll be done just in time. We'll get off the air. We'll turn on the hockey game and watch some hockey here in my studio. And I suggest you all do it at home because those two games between Boston and Buffalo. First of all, I almost panicked because I had not seen the release yet from Murphy. I turned on the Twitch stream and I was showing highlights from yesterday. I'm like, my goodness, Boston's already up three nothing on Buffalo. What in the heck is going on with the the Buttes? They don't want to play this year, rest of the season. No, it's because that was highlights from yesterday. So good to see that the game three is tonight. Like I said, 8:30 puck drop at Herb Brooks Arena in Lake Placid. Will we see a miracle for the Buttes, or will the Boston Pride meet the Toronto Six? No matter what happens. Between the game tonight, you either have the battle of the 403, Toronto versus Buffalo, or Toronto versus Boston. And Toronto and Boston on NBC, guys, just from the 2018 and 2019 and 2013 playoffs, doesn't go well. So I'm a little nervous. Now, the Six have done really well this year. They have literally outshot every team. I believe, according to Mike Murphy, they have, I think they've had over 40 shots per game. And, you know, I, I use her by numbers with Julie. She has not had to make over 30 saves as I knock on wood. So it's going to be interesting to see how they play, whoever they play against. Now, there's obviously something with the, excuse me, the, so the Whitecaps were holding, and this is from Matt Porter on Twitter, the Whitecaps were on the ice for their warmups. However, there was no Connecticut Whale. 
So not quite sure what's going on. Now, both teams, now the Whitecaps, the Whale, the Buttes, they brought in players from the outside. Now, they've tested, apparently. They've quarantined. So maybe there's just precautionary purposes with that. And I'm not saying tonight's game between Minnesota and Connecticut didn't mean anything. Like I said, the Six had won both games, so therefore they'd be the only 2-0 and team in this quick round robin, giving them the automatic first seed come the semifinal. But that would obviously determine, like if Connecticut won, for example, they would get the second seed, and you'd have to have Minnesota be the road team. Now, I'm not quite sure, did I... Uh, I wish I pulled up the schedule here. I don't know if this have the Whitecaps and Whale played yet. Yes, they did. The Whitecaps won in a shootout, right? Yes. Okay. It was the first night of the tournament. I remember that in the first night of the season. I'm like, gosh, it seems like so long ago at this point. So, of course, after the game tonight, Thursday and Friday, the semifinals and the final of the NWHL Isabel Cup. All three of those games, knock on wood that we get to that point, will be on NBC Sports Network. Now, the only positive thing, say there is this COVID problem with the whale. There are four days, three days, be able to quarantine and retest and make sure that there are no positive cases. Now, if I am the NWHL, and once again, this is probably the reason why I will not be in charge of anything, the NWHL should keep every player away from each other. Go full NHL quarantine rules. The ones that Ovechkin and Orlov and Samsonov and all those guys broke. No players can see each other. Make sure, just test the bejeebus out of them and hopefully get all negative results. And if you keep everyone quarantine each other, away from each other, then you can make sure you can have the positive case, the players that test positive, keep them out of the games and have the negative players play. Now, hopefully it doesn't come to the point where you have too many positive tests. And like I said, hopefully this few days buffer can help you out because you want to make sure you can have these games because not just because of the fact that they're on national television, but because look at the numbers this these games are drawing, guys. And I get it. People are like, oh, it's Twitch. Those numbers can be fabricated. It's online stream. People can just click it and pull off. I don't care what that deal is. On Saturday, when you have over almost a million and a half viewers on anything i don't care what platform it's on that is huge now that is over the entire day so there were two games on saturday like i said that was toronto taking on as i quick looking back at my notes to make sure i have them right toronto playing minnesota and buffalo beating boston like i said those games only two games so yes you have what 700 800 people per game i don't care what that number is like that is big for women's hockey getting all the eyes on the world watching them. Now, yes, is it easier to watch on Twitch? Yes, it is, because you just go on the Twitch app or twitch.tv, you click it, and you watch it there, and you can turn it off anytime you want. And with it being on cable network, on NBC Sports Network Thursday and Friday, there may be less people watching, but I feel like there's going to be a lot of people that are going to find a way to watch those games. Because if I'm not mistaken, even if you watch games on the app, I'm pretty sure you should be able to watch games like it still should count towards ratings like how many people are watching on the NBC Sports app like that shouldn't be an issue right I don't think it would be now then again like I said I'm not a I don't work for Nielsen Nielsen ratings I'm not a genius but I I would like to think that that would count towards ratings I expect I don't honestly I expect a big number but I, I'm bummed because I actually work a game on Friday 
I met finally worked back and work at Davenport. We got the schedule all lined up, ready to go for hockey. Obviously, testing permitted and all that stuff. So hopefully, we don't have any issues with that. Knock on wood. Please let me broadcast. For the love of goodness, I'm losing my mind here. But there is a lot to be excited about this upcoming weekend. I will be sure to have it on my phone because let's be honest, I'll be doing color commentary. Got my buddy Thomas Biondo come to call the games. You've seen him. He's been on the show 10 times. In fact, he was on here last week. Check that out on the Kula Show YouTube or your favorite podcatcher to check out that replay from last week. So let's I'm not going to get too much in the breakdown. Hopefully we have someone on. I think we got, I think we mentioned Mike Murphy who writes for the Ice Garden on, SB, on, on SB Nation, believe it or not. Let's hope that we can get him on. I mean, I, I he was going to come on this week, actually, believe it or not, to talk about the semifinal and final. And then they had to change the schedule, so he wasn't able to. And I'll be honest, we probably could have had him on tonight had we not had the had we known that there was going to be a negative test. But it's okay. We'll try to get him on next week to talk about the, to recap the NWHL Isabel Cup season in general. So it'll be a lot to get excited about. With that, how about we jump over to our other scoreboard that we like to do here on the Kula Show. You guys know what I'm talking about, right? You know what I'm talking about. The scoreboard that it's been around for a few years longer, a few years longer, a few months longer, because there's been a lot of awesome content we've talked about. We talk about women's hockey. Of course, we always talk about the NHL. Why don't we, kiddos? Why don't we fire up the amazing and awesome drumline cadence Fire up them drums, boys. Yes, sir. It is time for the College Hockey Scoreboard, brought to you by our good friends at Second String Leather Company, hashtag crafted from the crease. Let's jump on over to Friday because there's only a few games on Tuesday and Thursday. AIC beating Sacred Heart, Bentley beating Holy Cross, RIT beating Mercyhurst, and Penn State beating Notre Dame on Thursday. Friday, here we are. Army beating Sacred Heart 2-1. They get the sweep over the Pioneers, Colin Billick, his 10th goal of the season. Ended up being the game-winning goal in that one for the Black Knights. AIC completing their weekend sweep over Holy Cross with a 6-0 win. Big Ten hockey action. Notre Dame is getting the weekend split with Penn State. A 3-2 overtime win. Spencer Stazzy the game-winning goal in overtime. Irish split with the Nittany Lions. Number four, Minnesota beating up on Ohio State 5-1. Blake McLaughlin and Sammy Walker, one goal and two assists each in the win for the Golden Gophers. Wisconsin taking care of Michigan State 6-0. Four points for Dylan Holloway in that game for the number 13 badges. Moving over to the NCHC now. Number two, North Dakota beating number nine, Omaha, 6-2 in a game that was actually 4-2 until the final minutes where Omaha just kind of got caught up in a little bit of chippiness and ended up coming back to haunt them. Adam Shield, 30 saves. Shane Pinto, one goal and one assist for the Fighting Hawks. And number six, Minnesota Duluth beating Miami 2-1. Scott Sandlin, the Bulldogs head coach, Win number 400 behind the bench. Congratulations. On Hockey East action, number 17, Providence beating up New Hampshire 5-1. It was only 1-1 heading into the third period before Providence scored four more. Parker Ford, three assists in the game for the Friars. UConn beating up on Merrimack 6-1. Reese Harrison and Carter Trimble, two goals each for the Huskies. And number 10, UMass beating up UMass Lowell 5-0 between number 10 and number 16 in the country. WCHA, number 8, Bowling Green takes down Michigan Tech 6-3. Connor Ford, two goals and two assists for the Falcons. And Bemidji State beating up Minnesota State 4-1. Another win for an against a top-ranked team for the Beavers. And Northern Michigan beating Ferris State by a score of 5-4. Moving on over now to Saturday. If I can 
find the right one here. Goodness, you think this is easy, kids. Trying to find the right graphic to throw up there. There it is. Holy Cross and AIC. Number 19, AIC beating Holy Cross 3 to nothing. Ryan Mechanicek, 20 saves, his second shutout of the weekend. Robert Morris beating on Mercyhurst 5 to 3. Trailed 3 1 in the third period, though, to the Colonels before Roman Kramer scored his second of the season, ended up being the game winning goal. Nick Jenny with a goal and an assist for Robert Morris. RIT beats Canisius 3-2 with Caleb Moretz with a goal and an assist. And Army tying Sacred Heart 2-2. Black Knights winning that one in a shootout, getting the extra point in Atlantic hockey action. Going back over to the Big Ten, the Badgers complete the weekend sweep over the Spartans 4-1. Cole Caulfield, two goals and two assists, seven points over the weekend against the Spartans. Minnesota finishing off the Buckeyes 5-2. They have outscored their opponents, guys, the Gophers. 30-5 30-5 to in the last four games. They've had a pretty good run, to say the least. Back to the Hockey East and the Battle of the Masses. Get it? Masses? Because it's UMass and UMass Lowell. Massachusetts. Ha! That's hilarious. Number 10, UMass getting the weekend sweep. 2-1 win over the Riverhawks. Philip Lindbergh, 28 saves. His second win of the season. And UConn completed their weekend sweep of Merrimack with another 6-1 win. Johnny Evans, four goals in the game. A career night for the Husky. NCHC, Minnesota Duluth beating Miami 6-3 to get the weekend sweep. Cole Kepke, a pair of goals for the Bulldogs. And Omaha coming back with a win over the Fighting Hawks. They get a split back at home in Baxter Arena against the Fighting Hawks. 5-4 win. Omaha on fire on the power play. 3-5 against North Dakota. Chase Primo, his sixth of the season. Isaiah Seville, eighth win of the year. 43 saves. And wrapping up the WCHA, Northern Michigan beating Ferris State. 5-3. All four wins for Northern Michigan this season have come against the Bulldogs. Colby ends his second goal of the season, the game-winning goal. His other goal is actually against the Bulldogs as well. Number eight, Bowling Green beating Michigan Tech to complete the weekend sweep there, 5-2. Moving on over, looking at just quickly looking at the Sunday scores that are actually not a graphic, as I have promptly learned here as I'm just clicking buttons at this point. There we go. Let's get back to me here. Hi, everyone. How are you doing? Sunday, Bentley beating Air Force 6-3. Providence beating New Hampshire 3-2. Air Force and Bentley going on right now. Let's see if we can quickly throw up the score on that one as I quickly run things over. And uh, final in overtime, Air Force, their first win of the season, beating Bentley 4-3 in overtime. Willie Ream, the game winner, his third of the year for the Air Force Falcons. Air Force finally Getting into the wind column. That was your college hockey scoreboard brought to you by our good friends at Second Chain Leather Company, secondchainleather.com, hashtag crafted from the crease. So that was that was good. I it's good to see Air Force finally getting a win because, well, you know, they they've I'm not saying they've struggled, but just with them, it's been inconsistent scheduling because they've had a lot of games that had to get postponed. Don't forget, Air Force is all the way out in Colorado. So the fact that they have to travel across the country has made it very difficult for them. And that's why the NCHC, despite them having kind of the league split in two in an East and a West division, they've had problems with COVID cases since they've left their bubble. And, you know, there's been issues with WCHA games. There's been issues with Hockey East, obviously, because UMass Lowell, they've only played six games this year, guys. And Boston University had to suspend all of their games through the end of the month which means they're kind of put on the hot seat because you need to have, I believe it's 13 games, 12 or 13 games to even qualify for the national tournament. So if Boston can't get up to that main number, despite them starting off five and one and looking like a real contender, they may not play. So you really wonder because Trevor Zagres, there was a, there was questions that he may go back to Boston, but he saw the fact that, Hey, I'm probably not going to play a game this year at this point. So that's why he's, right now joining up with the with the Bakersfield Condors because he's got to play 
And he may only play some 30, I believe it's, I think they're playing 30 games out there in Bakersfield. Each of the teams in the American Hockey League are playing different numbered games. The Canadian schedule I have not seen released yet in the AHL, Manitoba, Belleville, Ottawa, and Laval. Ottawa and Laval. Belleville, Toronto, and Laval. There we go. So those have not been released yet. I know here in Grand Rapids, the Griffin schedule has been released. They are going to be playing 30 games. They don't play a home game until the end of the month. I thankfully have a pass to go to those games, a media pass that I will use. It'll probably be me sitting in like 104 by myself because I guarantee you they can't have all the press sitting up top like they usually do. So I won't be talking about Kayser much this season, which is kind of a bummer. Bob's a nice guy. I like talking to him. So right now it's a little past seven o'clock. We got the Pens and Rangers starting up here on the television behind us. So you'll see me go, what in the heck is going? No, I won't do. I won't go crazy like that. This is not the Leafs. I, I'm, let's all be thankful, though. We have not. I think we've only had, what, one Leafs game this year on a show? Because for those that remember the podcast days where we had to listen to it after the game. So when I was yelling and screaming during the game, it was like an hour before because we did the pre-record. The episode won't be up to like an hour or two later. So by the time you heard me yell and scream about the Leafs game, the game was well over. So that's why that's the perks of live streaming or live podcasting, live te- not live television. I mean, if you are watching us on Zingo TV channel 761, use the promo code 12 outs to sign up for that, then you are watching us on the television. But, I mean, of course, if you're watching YouTube on the big screen or if you have Twitter, if you have like your laptop hooked up to your big screen or on Twitter, okay, never mind. There's a chance to watch on the big screen. So technically, we could be live TV. Not really, though. We're never. If this show ever gets on a network, first of all, what's wrong with that network? Second of all, it's just, we just wouldn't fit, you know? We just It just wouldn't work, right? Because we, we we don't work well with commercials because I don't know when I'm supposed to take commercial breaks. It's kind of odd the way things work. But So let's kind of look ahead here. I'm not ready to go to the NHL player safety stuff yet. I'm looking at my, my calendar. Let's, go, let's talk about some good stuff. Before we hit the bad, before we get into all the bad stuff that may happen, let's talk about some good stuff. Last week, the Columbus Blue Jackets took on the Florida Panthers in a Central Division matchup. And the game looked pretty good. Florida, who has had a lot of one-goal games this season, despite not coming well out of the gates. Of course, COVID had some issues with that. Goaltending as well. Bobrovsky and Chris Dreiger. But they go to a shootout with Columbus. And Columbus themselves, in their own right, has had some tough games as well. Of course, they're still... I believe Patrick Lyon should be joining the team sometime this week. Pierre-Luc Dubois is sitting in a hotel in Winnipeg waiting to get approval to come out if he can you know, play early to break quarantine early. But the game goes to a shootout. And I think it was the third or fourth round. Alex Texier comes up. Now, unfortunately, with the lovely NHL licensing and copyright fees, I'm not allowed to show you this clip. So you're just going to have to listen to my voice. Of course, if you're listening on the podcast, then you kind of get it. But Alex Texier gets an opportunity to go in on the shootout. And he's coming down on Dreiger. He's coming from his right wing. He's left-handed shot. And what he does is he pulls the puck on his forehand. and goes to his backhand. It looks like he's about to pull a Forsberg because you see one hand come off his stick. But instead of going around the far left pad of Chris Dreiger, he actually slides it through the five hole of Dreiger for a little cheeky little shoot shootout goal, a little skills competition goal for you. Because it ain't a shootout. That's not how hockey should be. Hockey should be determined by playing hockey, not a skills competition. That's for video games and the all-star break. Ah! Sorry, I, I, this is the perks of having this microphone here. I can yell off to the side so you don't hear what I'm yelling out. Break your eardrums. There you go. So, because there may be some... Yelling a little bit later on. That was a real sick goal. 
And some good news, of course, Alexi Lafreniere, first overall pick, getting his first NHL goal in overtime in a win against Buffalo last Thursday. Congratulations to him. Unfortunately for Rick Janert, he couldn't call the overtime goal on his side. That He had Sammy Rosen over on MSG calling it for Lafreniere. He was excited. Of course, him and Micheletti have been an absolute awesome team broadcast duo for an extremely long time. Those two guys, Sam Rosen and Joe Micheletti, I, I fortunate enough to get to watch them a lot more now because it seems like the Rangers are on ESPN Plus all the time because ESPN Plus has a select number of games every single night, mostly every single night. And so I get to watch, you know, games out west, Anaheim versus St. Louis. Got to watch that game last night and get to watch the Rangers. So I get to listen to Sam Rosen all the time and one of the best voices, television voices and personalities in the NHL. Had an interesting game last week between Tampa and Carolina. I hope you guys saw this one. It was a one nothing game. Now, hold on, Tyler. The one nothing game, that must have been boring. No goals, nothing like that. It was arguably one of the best games I've seen so far this year. Now, like I said, we'll get to the 8-5 game here in just a minute that happened yesterday at Rogers Arena in Edmonton. But no, Rogers Place in Edmonton. Rogers Arena is in Vancouver. The rink in Edmonton, that one. Martin H. just gets the game-winning goal. For Carolina. Just scores and it was one nothing. That was it, right? Well, that's because Andre Vasilevsky and Peter Morazic had just an, a pair of outstanding performances. 34 saves for Andre Vasilevsky. 32 save shutout for Peter Morazic. Guys, I I tell you, it was an ex I was able to watch the game live. I watched bits and pieces of it throughout the night. But I watched the highlights back the next day. And whenever I see a one nothing game. Because there were a couple earlier this year, there were like 20 shots, 20 to 20, like low shot games, right? Neither offense is clicking. I think it was like Anaheim versus Phoenix. So which was the most, which made sense for those two teams. That was a one nothing game where only 40 shots were taken. Oh, we got Pittsburgh wearing their reverse retros tonight. They're white with the yellow uh, diagonal Pittsburgh. That's kind of cool. They're at Madison Square Garden tonight. But just watching those guys, because Morazic, Morazic's always been a funny goaltender to watch. And like I said, I've seen him through his junior days in Ottawa. We saw him at the World Junior, of course, with Czech Republic, tackling the boards, tackling his teammates, jumping into the bench the whole nine yards. Absolute lovely character to watch. But you see him in Detroit, and he ends up being the number one goaltender and has a collapse and unfortunately had to get traded to Philadelphia where he didn't do anything. Goes to Carolina and has this revitalization of his career. And he looks like a number one goaltender again. And, of course, I'm not saying this is the year he looks like a number one goaltender. We saw it last year and a little bit the year before that. But watching him go toe-to-toe with a Vesna Trophy winner was something that was very, very encouraging for Carolina fans because Vasilevsky, in his own right, had to make a few big saves against the Canes, which is a team that doesn't... I mean, they just kind of shoot at will. They maybe don't look for the perfect scoring chance, but he had to make some real tough saves. And those are the games that... And like I said, this is probably just the goaltender in me. I love watching those battles. I love watching two goaltenders go head to head, save for save, because that right there is what it's that's the best part of watching a hockey game. I did a game last year with Ferris. I may mean, think I may have mentioned a time or two with Harrison. It was against Michigan Tech. And it was Austin Shaw for the Ferris State Bulldogs and Matt Jerusik, who was having an incredible year. He's not even the start of this year for Michigan Tech, guys. I'm actually doing Michigan Tech Ferris with Harrison tomorrow night at seven o'clock up there in big rapids. But I, I just remember doing that game and Harrison's like, come on, we need a goal. We need something. It was zero, zero through 40 minutes. And I'm just loving this game because it wasn't like it was 
bad, like no chances on either side, no good shots. Both goaltenders were having to make huge saves. Jerusalem was playing out of his mind. Austin Shaw was having a good game himself. And I'm like, this game's exciting. I don't know how you don't want to watch or listen to this. Same thing with that game last week between Tampa and Carolina. Yeah, you may not have had seven, six games, six, five game. But what you saw was two teams. And we talked about how Carolina just had just held Dallas to 40 shots over a two-game span this past weekend. See Tampa offense get through. But then we see Carolina's offense get some chances as well against a still good and talented defense core there in Tampa, despite losing guys like Shattenkirk and Victor Hedman getting older and still having Luke Chen as your second pair. Golly. But it was a fun game to watch because he had two good goaltenders. That's why it was entertaining. Now then we saw the flip side of that yesterday between Edmonton and Ottawa. And before we get to that game, Edmonton and Toronto on Saturday night, great game, overtime win for the Oilers, 4-3 win. But the goal that everyone's talking about, not the game winner by McDavid, no, too simple. We're going to talk about the goal where McDavid decided that I am going to show everyone why I am the best player in the world. McDavid literally Go, picks up the puck in his own goal line. By the way, Tyson Berry got an assist on this one for really doing a little drop pass to McDavid in his own zone. McDavid goes right down the middle, dekes and dives, gets hooked and everything, but fights through checks and is able to put it over the shoulder of Frederick Anderson for a classic end-to-end goal. Somewhere Bobby Orr is going, holy cow! Well, I mean, Bobby Orr is actually very mild-mannered. He's like, well, that was pretty good. Uh, I remember when I did that a couple times against Atlanta and, and uh, Detroit and other bad teams because uh, I was... Bobby Orr, because I'm sure that's exactly how Bobby Orr sounds. I'm not, I'm very bad at hockey impersonations because so few players have those kind of tone, like that certain tone. I'm good at doing broadcaster impersonations, but not hockey player impersonations. But regardless, a magnificent goal by Connor McDavid. And so big win for the Oilers. They end up getting the split and they're back to back between the Toronto Maple Leafs, which they wore those reverse retro sweaters last night or on Saturday night, guys. And oh, Lord, hideous. Both of them, both Edmonton's and Toronto's. I thought Toronto's were going to look cool, but then I saw they had the blue numbers with the blue on the reverse retro jerseys. Guys, that's 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 bad. You're not even trying at that point because, like, I was excited because the Leafs ones look like the one that I have from the 1970s and early 80s, actually through the 80s, The with the blue shoulders and the white, right? I have the blue shoulders with white, so I'm like, oh, cool, the white with the blue, sh- or white shoulders, blue base jersey. Looks pretty cool, but they did gray. I'm like, okay, it's not not great, but hey, that couldn't be, that could be pretty good. But then you see blue numbers with gray trim, and I'm like, what are you even thinking? Are you even trying to do anything original? Like, the point is to look cool. You're not looking cool at all. You're looking pretty dumb, if I'm not mistaken. So, there, there is that to go on all with that. But regardless, Ottawa then comes into town. They were waiting for the Oilers. They were waiting in Edmonton because, like, hey, we have an opportunity to make something happen here, guys, because we're playing the Oilers. The Oilers played last night. They may be a little bit tired. Maybe they'll take advantage of them. And the Edmonton Oilers came out and said, no, 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 no. So <laughs> I don't think I've ever seen a game where that's just completely off the rail bonkers. The Oilers come out and score eight seconds into the game. Dominic Kuhn, his second goal in his many nights. I'm like, okay, well, quick start, weird bounce. Matt Murray couldn't have it. It was a screenshot that was a deflection. The whole whole kit and caboodle, series of unfortunate events for Murray. Oilers up one nothing. 
Okay. Then it goes 2-0. James Neal scores. Okay, that's not good. They're starting to get ahead. But then, you know, goal from Colin White. Cool. All right, Ottawa's on the board. 2-1, respectable score. And then they score three. Then they score three more. Do the Oilers go up five to one in the first period, and then two more by the Ottawa Senators. It's five to three after twenty minutes, and I'm like, holy cow! Somewhere that score sheet that the NHL mandated score sheet is just getting filled with stuff. And here's the crazy part, too, guys. It wasn't just because of the fact that you know both teams are getting great offensive chances. If I'm not mistaken, the power plays were ridiculous in the game. Edmonton had five power, each team had five power plays in this game. So it wasn't like super, you know, super chippy, too many penalties. The difference was because Ottawa went two for five, which is respectable. 40% in a game for an Ottawa team that's not the best offensively. Well, they went up a team against, they went up against a team that went four for five on the power play in Edmonton. Can you guess who was on the ice for those goals? Yes, Connor McDavid and Leon Dreisaitl. Ryan Nugent Hopkins got a power play goal as well. Connor McDavid, of course, gets the first start of the game. I think McDavid had five points in the game. How many did, uh, let's see how many Drysaddle. Drysaddle had six assists in the game. That's ridiculous. He was, what does he say? He was one away from the record for most assists in a game. There were some people saying they should have pushed McDavid and Drysaddle to try to get 10 points because people were, after that first period, people were like, oh my gosh, they're going to hit Sittler tonight, guys. They're going to hit 10 points tonight. It's going to happen. And then, well, it unfortunately didn't because they decided, oh, I'll take pity on them. And, of course, a couple more goals later on by the Senators. You can look at this game in two ways for Edmonton Oilers fans. Like I said, Edmonton now looks like a team that could still you know, be a playoff team, and I'll eat my crow when I'm served it. But you've got to look at this two ways. Yes, you, your team scored eight goals, four of them on the power play, which means your power play is working, which Edmonton, for the last couple of years, have had just the absolute worst luck with their power play. So good for them to get that on track, for the most part. But on the same token, you give up five goals to the Ottawa Senators. Now, I don't know if I have enough time here to quickly try to see if I can pull up how many goals the Ottawa Senators have had. Or how many goals they've scored per game. Can I do it here? Let's see. Oh, yeah, here we go. Select team. Quick scroll down. NHL.com. I think they're trying to improve it. It's getting a little bit easier for me to work. So go to their calendar. All right, so here's how they started. Let's see if they scored any more than five goals at all this year. Scored five against the Leafs in their win. And uh, that's it. So you're telling me that the Ottawa Senators have lost to, like, Winnipeg. They've gotten smoked by Vancouver. They've had no good luck. They actually, in those three games against Vancouver, they scored three goals, one goal each game. Yet the Edmonton Oilers and the Toronto Maple Leafs, they've been able to get five goals against them. What does that tell you about those two teams? Now, I'm not saying this means, oh, my goodness, these teams are horrible. They're awful. They're never going to win a darn thing. No, that doesn't mean a thing. Edmonton and Toronto may be the top two teams, but clearly there are problems with both teams' defenses if you're allowing five goals to the Ottawa Senators. Now, less, Tim Stutzel got a goal in that game. Of course, Tim Stutzel also scored against the Leafs, and I think Stutzel may have a better year than Alexi Lafreniere, unless Lafreniere can pick it up at this point. Now, that remains to be foreseen. Got, even though it's only a 56-game schedule, we got a lot of hockey to be played here. So we'll just kind of have to wait and see about that with the Oilers. But crazy game. But once again, Dreisaitl and McDavid, it may work. It may get you to the playoffs. But I said it before, and I'll say it again. You need to have more than just 97 and 29 scoring 
if you want to win the cup. You can't just have two guys doing it. Yeah, you had Mario for the... I mean, look how long it took Mario to win a cup. It took him to have to have Yarmer Yager. took you having to have Kevin Stevens. Ronnie Francis... You have to trade for Ronnie Francis, by the way. They didn't even have Ronnie Francis until that 91 playoff run. Who else am I missing here? Joey Mullen had to come around. You had to have... Oh, gosh, I'm probably missing a few. Troy Loney, because I remember him from NHL 94, and also I got to call games because his son played at Davenport. So I'm going to say he was an important piece. No, there were Jim Pack. There you go. Jim Pack, former Grand Rapids Griffins assistant coach. Yeah, he was on that team, sort of. He was on Muskegon for most of it. But regardless, he's a Stanley Cup champion. So, but there is a a considerable amount of you know things to work on with this team to get them to win without the help of 2997. I think if I'm not mistaken, I was listening to Hockey Central today, and Justin Bourne put out an incredible stat. When McDavid or Drysaddle are not on the ice for the Edmonton Oilers, and they've done a good job of kind of splitting them up a little bit, but when either neither of them are on the ice, the Oilers have scored five goals this season, given up 23. That is an 18-goal differential when your two best players are not on the ice. Now, yeah, Stuart Skinner did not have a good game, his first NHL game. He didn't play well. Got the win, though, so maybe that's all you need. You can't keep playing Koskinen at the, at the rate that he is. You need to find more goaltenders for your Edmonton. Your defense needs to pick it up. Now, granted, they allowed those two more goals in the third period because at that point, like, oh, we got this game in the bag. It's, what was it, 8-3. Call off the dogs. Who cares, right? Now, yes, that mindset's not good for a team moving forward in the playoffs, towards the playoffs, but they're... You can tell where the issues lay with this Oilers team. But they are heading in the right direction. Their offense is working. If their offense can click, sure. But you know in the playoffs, everything kind of gets tightened up a little bit, gets a little bit tougher. Look at last year, three-game sweep at the hands of the Blackhawks. The Blackhawks, who are battling with the Detroit Red Wings for last in the Central Division, are, I mean, that's just kind of how the long and the short of it with these two teams, with the Edmonton Oilers and the Chicago Blackhawks. Chicago is able to shut down literally just about everyone else for the Oilers, and were able to limit McDavid and Dreisaitl, and were able to take care of bad goaltending as well. So things are there for Edmonton, but they may not be there entirely. So we'll have to keep our eyes and ears open on that one. So last thing before I go to break here, go one more break because we got a little over an hour left in the show here today. I know it's just me for the rest of it, we get a couple more guys on guys or gals on next week. Like I said, hopefully we got Mike Murphy got him penciled in, but he'd be a cool guy to talk to. Cause he's been a big part of the NWHL for both statistics and coverage as well for, with the ice garden. So hopefully we get him on next week. But the issue I want to talk about is the issue I pertain to off the top of the show with Vegas and their COVID problems, two games against San Jose cancel and the second game against St. Louis. And we talked, and I literally went through the entire rescheduling of games, which affected St. Louis, Anaheim, and San Jose. So why am I going to talk about this now? Because now I have a little bit more time to explain what this could mean. Because now with New Jersey saying they're not going to play till Saturday, that's going to cause some rescheduling. You're looking at a great possibility here, folks, of the NHL having to figure out how to do a playoff system without each team playing 56 games. It's looking like it's going to be a problem if these teams, because you may look at it, they may have to finish like they did last year and go by points percentage. 
Now, will that mean the NHL will have to expand the playoffs again? We don't know. It's really early to tell. We're like I said, not any. I don't think any teams played ten games yet this year. If there has, I and mean, there's only been a couple. Yet, if the National Hockey League, because I, I I don't know what the NHL can do at this point in terms of making sure that the there's no positive cases. And Pittsburgh just scored first, by the way. Jason Zucker there on the bang, on the back door. One nothing pens in that game against the Rangers. I, I I don't know what they can do. They're just gonna have to. I think the teams are are the ones who have to convince to accept the fact that hey, you guys tested positive for COVID when we gave you these guidelines on how to not get COVID, and this is why now you're gonna have to play less games. And if a team misses the playoffs, if they stick with the 16 team playoff format like they're planning for four in each division, everyone stays in their division until the conference finals. You're going to have to accept the fact that if a team plays 56 games, they should get, I don't say the tiebreaker, or if there's a tie somewhere in points percentage, you may have to give it to the team with the higher, with more games played. Cause I feel like, I don't know. I was, I was about to say, I'm like you should penalize teams that have positive COVID cases, but sometimes that's inevitable. I, I just, the NHL has got to start to figure out a way. They got to start planning for a possibility of where some teams may play 50 games. Some teams may play 53 games. Some teams may play 56, but they're in a division where no one else has played 56. And there's got to be people that are trying to figure this out. Because remember how I talked about in the preseason before they announced the schedule, how there were people in the league working to try to figure out, all right, we're going to have a schedule if teams in Canada can play in the United States. And here's the guy scheduling if the Canadian teams have to stay in Canada. And here's what's going to happen if we want to do interdivisional games or interregion games, like teams travel around. Like there are people working on that, obviously. There's got to be a group of people trying to figure out what to do to best suffice the possibility of teams not playing the entire schedule. After all the rescheduling they can try to do, come April and May, you're going to have problems with COVID cases. April and May are going to come around, and yes, you'd like to hope that people are more people are getting vaccinated, but that doesn't necessarily mean the cases are going to go away, right? So the National Hockey League needs to start to look ahead and think, all right, guys, here we look at the East Division. We have Boston playing 55 games. We have New Jersey playing 53, but they're way out of it. Uh, Pittsburgh's played 54. They're battling for that fourth playoff spot with the Islanders, but the Islanders have played 56 games. What do we do? Because easily, now, if they're tied in points, one team's played less, you could probably figure it out there then that, oh man, even because Pittsburgh wins one game or gets one point, then they would be in the playoffs. So I guess you could try to do that. Like I said, there's brains behind this operation, not me. Because at this point, I should be like, listen, you test three times, you're done. Ooh, wow, there's a rule for you. Man, that may have just be me going off the cuff here, but if your team has to cancel games three separate times this season, so for Vegas, this is like strike one. You get three strikes, you're done. Ooh, boy, I have an idea. Someone, give me Bill Daly on the phone. I have an idea. Anybody? Anybody got a text message? I can send a text message, right? Uh, I don't know if I know anyone <laughs> that can direct me to the league ops. I, I do have Bill Daly's email. Shockingly enough, he hasn't responded to it yet. It's been about a been about two months now since so I've asked him to come on the show. Then again, Bill Daly. Hey, Bill Daly, you want to come on a podcast that maybe 30 people have heard of? I'm pretty sure I'll probably say no to that. So 
regardless, there there are certain issues in the NHL that COVID's going to be around. We're going to talk about it. We're literally going to wake up in the morning and say, I'm like, all right, what games are going to happen today? Like we already know, and New Pittsburgh's supposed to play New Jersey this week. Those games are not going to happen as New Jersey can't play until Saturday or through Saturday. So there, that right there is an issue, and we're going to see it like, shoot, knock on wood, you haven't any problems in the North Division yet, but guess what's going to happen, kids? Hey, coming up this Saturday night, the Leafs are supposed to play the right, or the Leafs are supposed to play the Canadians or the Jets. Oh, can't play it, guys, because someone and the Leafs got tested positive for COVID. Or there was an outbreak or something like that. Because obviously it's, it's we've heard a couple times players put on the COVID list and teams still playing. If it's an outbreak through the organization and they are hosting, that's one thing. If it's one or two guys, it's something like that's why you have the taxi squad. Guys can go play. Teams can go play still. Now, that was the problem with Vegas. They had a big outbreak throughout their team, their franchise. Same thing that happened down in Florida. And so this is not going to be something new. That's why Dallas couldn't start until a couple weeks after the season or until the season started because they had a problem with COVID. So that's, that is an issue that teams are going to have to face and understand that we may be at game 40 of the season and the NHL come out and say, listen, guys, not all of you are going to play 56 games this year. Only one or two of you are going to points percentage win the games you can, because listen, the NHL is there's whispers of them pushing back the end of the season start date, but don't forget NBC is looking forward to that Olympics, which as of right now is still happening. Now, granted, yes, if the Olympics don't happen, then the NHL is like, sweet, we got till September to finish this thing up. But, of course, I'm pretty sure the NHL wants to get done sooner than later because you want to know why? Because they want to have a season that starts in October next year. So they need to be on a strict schedule if they want that to happen. Like I said, it doesn't have to do with just Seattle coming to the league. The NHL wants to go back to normal or whatever normal is. The new normal, as they keep saying. Whatever that may be, they want to start having a season that goes from October till late May, early June, just like they used to when, just like when we were kids, you know, they always say like, oh, just like the Christmas I used to know. How about the NHL I like to used to know? Like that one, right? We'll go with, we'll make a Christmas jingle, an NHL jingle. How about that, eh? Let's do that here on the Kula Show. We'll come up with brand new jingles that make no sense whatsoever because we don't make dollars. We don't make sense. We're just the Kula Show here on 12 Ounce Sports. We'll take a quick break, folks. When we come back, we will talk more about the NHL. We'll talk about what to watch for, and we'll, uh, I'm going to do it again, guys. I've thought about it. I'm going to do it again. NHL, player safety, again, on the Kula Show. It's going to happen. So be ready, because I'm, it's right after this. And welcome back, everyone, to the Kula Show here on 12 Ounce Sports for this Monday, February 1st. Ladies and gentlemen, it's February in 2021. Is time flying by? It's, a, it's an honest question, right? I mean, you know how people how remember how slow and how long the pandemic was. But now it's like we're all caught up here, right? I mean, this is, this is good, right? This, this is good to see. The fact that we're slowly making our way through 2020, but now we're maybe going a little bit faster in 2021. Maybe it's because of the fact that hockey's back and I've really had no time to breathe. I mean, shoot, we've had, of course, we have college hockey back in full swing. We've had, 
you know, the NHL still going on. NWHL has been going on almost every night. At least there's been something to talk about the NWHL. So, like I said, for those games, 8.30 puck drop here right after we get off the air. Where I'm going to jump onto my... I'm probably turning up here on the TV. Boston versus Buffalo, game three. Winner gets the fourth seed. And the NWHL Isabel Cup semifinal take on the Toronto Six. Minnesota and Connecticut, their game was postponed, their round-robin game. However, they'll be two and three anyway, so they'll play in the other semifinal. Final will be on Friday night on NBC Sports Network. You hear this, though, guys? You want to know what's really cool? Something I was kind of, I was, I won't say I was shocked, but I was excited and elated to hear. Johnny Forsland on the call for those games. I read that before we went on live here today. Johnny Forsland will be calling the games for the NWHL. And, you know, why not? I mean, I forgot. Oh, gosh. I forget the guy's name. Florida Panthers play-by-play guy. Ah, cats forget his name. He did a couple games, though, as well, a couple dates. Um, they've had a really good, I mean, their production value for the NWHL has been incredible. You know, they and they've had fun with it, too, because they have fun with the Twitch. The Twitch chat is probably the best part about the NWHL uh, experience so far. The fact that they have been doing the games on there and people are, they're able to interact. They're able to chat. And here's the best part though, guys knock on wood. Cause obviously things can change, but it's been positive. It's been, Oh, what a save by Chuli. Oh, what a save by Sonia Shelley. Well, look at that play over there. Jillian Dempsey doesn't need two shoulders. Like there's been the friendly banter back and forth. Ah, Boston and Toronto. Oh, gosh, golly. But it's been fun. It's been exciting. It's been entertaining chatting. Like we, you know, I get on the chat. My brother gets on the chat. We, the Kula show gets on the, our, on our Twitch channel. We get in the chat there and we just, it's fun to just see people react. Cause there are some people that have never watched a hawk, a women's, a, let alone a women's hockey game, a hockey game in general before, for, before this, cause they heard something about this crazy thing about going on in women's hockey. Now let's check it out. I've never seen a hockey game before. I'm like, well, this is fun and inclusive because people are getting, despite not having a single fan there, in attendance, they have some team personnel and they have a bunch of awesome cutouts, including both professional, you know, men's professional and women's professional athletes cutouts. Those are always really cool to see, but they have fun. Like they do the virtual t-shirt toss where they, you know, give us your best emoji to get a free t-shirt, your flex cam. So people like throw up like the flex emoji, uh, the kiss cam, which is funny because, you know, they always show like the two dog, two dogs, like, oh, I'll see the dogs kiss, whatever. And the wife's like, oh my, she she lay, the first time uh, Kelly was watching it with me, she's like, are they really about to do a kiss cam? Who's there? And I'm like, oh, nobody. It's just fun. And it's it's, it's such a unique experience. Because, you know, we watch, you know, you watch a regular hockey game and you can choose to go on Twitter if you want and just and battle people in discussion that way. Or, you, I mean, if you're watching the NWHL, it's, hey, this is a fun game, guys. And And I'll be honest. This is something that is, is so unique. Because I love chatting about women's hockey. And for some of you that remember, going back to the podcast days, how literally I, I don't say I went after, but I, I don't know how to describe it. When the CWHL folded back at the end of 2019, when it seemed like the most profitable year ever, I, I don't get, I, I just remember being mad, you know, cause I thought this is the perfect time for the, for the league to, for the NWH or for there to be 
a women's fully professional, fully functional professional women's hockey league. And the NWHL decided not to do anything about it. Like we're going to do our own thing still. And it made me mad because I'm like, man, join forces, come together. And, and as I learned, as I did more research, because at the time it was just, you know, kind of, I don't say blind anger, but it was, it was mad because I'm like, there's an opportunity here and neither side sees it. But obviously as I learned over time, kind of just looking more into the story, the NWHL brass and the CWHL brass saw women's hockey in a very different light. And as we've seen, because there's the evolution of the pro women's hockey players association, which has done an amazing job with the dream gap tour. And now we're seeing the money start to come in for the national women's hockey league. I feel like some people are probably turned off. I'm talking about women's hockey this much, but I don't care. So I'll just make that perfect. Oh, what a big hit. Holy cow. Sorry. <laughs> Speaking of NWHL, let's go back to the NHL. Brennan Smith just tried to hit a guy and ends up hurting himself. And now we get pushing it. Good Lordy. Sorry. This is the problem with my ADD folks. Uh, anyways, back to my, back to my discussion. The NWHL has done an amazing job of, of, you know, starting to get money themselves. They got sponsors. Now they have Discover as a partner right now. That is huge in terms of their financial development, which could affect player salaries moving forward. Because right now they just get paid stipends and, you know, they don't get paid a whole lot or stipends. And, you know, this could be a huge game changer. Now, I'm not saying, by the way, it looked like he tried to hit, oh, I can't tell the number. Oh, it was uh, Brandon Tanev he went after. End up getting the worst of it. So, regardless, I, I, I still dream of the day of one league, one league, one fully functional league. Because that's what I want. That's what everyone wants for women's hockey. They want a league. They can say, "All right, guys, what's coming up?" Because obviously, NBC Sports Network is going to be gone, and there's going to be a television deal that's needed. So, I guess ESPN just going to get it because Fox ain't doing crap. Fox is busy with random sports. So, I, I've. It's probably looking like the, you know, the NW, the NHL may go to ESPN, but that's a discussion for the end of the season when the contract, the TV deal ends with NHL and NBC Sports at the end of this 2021 season. However, you know, that's what everyone wants. We want to have a fully functional league. Maybe it's not like the WNBA. Maybe there's not a WNHL. However, you want to have a league that can play on its own and you still want those best players because you're still not having Kendall Coyne, you know, Melody Daou, still not in that league. Marie Philip Pelan, her year, she's getting up there in years, but she can still play. She's right now doing it on the Dream Gap, the Dream Gap Tour, which is still bringing in a lot of exposure towards women's hockey. We see those, we see a lot of the players wearing that, wearing their garb. When you go to games, I got the swag. I've tried to get shirts myself, but they sell out so fast. They have to, they're trying to remake a bunch of the, of the swag and the merchandise to try to keep up with the demand. It's almost impossible right now with everyone being interested in women's hockey, both NWHL and the pro women's hockey players association. It's great. But if you could just combine the forces together, I, I feel like some people look at this and hear this as Kylo Ren reaching out to Ray in the sequels of star Wars and literally just waiting for someone to kill Snoke. But we don't know who Snoke is, unfortunately, even though we find out that Snoke later is Emperor Palpatine. Anyways, regardless, none of my Star Wars stuff, you want it to happen one day. So let's just hope that happens. Like I said, 8.30 puck drop tonight, Buffalo and Boston, semifinals and finals, Thursday and Friday. Sorry, I had to take a swig of water. 
on NBC Sports Network, Johnny Forslund, the new, the going to be new television play-by-play voice of the Seattle Kraken. Hey, how about that? He'll be joining our good buddy Everett Fitzhugh over there. Everett will be doing the coverage for the radio broadcast for the Seattle Kraken when they release the Kraken next season. Yes, I did it. Seattle Kraken released the Kraken. Yeah, I'm hilarious. I know I am. But anyway, so moving along here. I Okay. Here we're we're at that point, folks. We're at we're at the point of the show that literally I didn't want to get back to. I didn't want to go back to this two weeks in a row. Yet here I am. Going to be talking about the NHL department player safety. Now, if you want the choice, I'm warning you now. You may want to turn down your volume because it's about to get loud in here. So let's just kind of take you back to last week and why it carries over into today. Why I'm mad that I have to talk about it two weeks in a row. Last set, this not last Saturday, two Saturday, two Saturdays ago, Tyler Myers hits Yoel Armia high, gives Armia a concussion. The NHL Department of Player Safety decided, nah, nah, he's fine. He's 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 fine. Oh, oh, okay, really? He's fine. And I can tell you right now, you can find my rant. It's on Twitter and Instagram and Facebook. You can follow it on there. I'm not going to go back into that hit again. Now, the reason why, kiddos, that I'm not going to go back to that hit again is because of the fact that the NHL Department of Player Safety has done something this past week. Well, did something and then didn't do something. Let's talk about what they did first. Kevin Fiala, Minnesota Wild, and was playing against the Los Angeles Kings the other night. I'd say about, what was it, Thursday? Long story short, Fiala hits Matt Roy in the corner. Dangerous hit. Puts him in from the boards from behind. Boarding penalty. Kevin Fiala then gets three games. From the, from the NHL Department of Player Safety, suspending a guy for a bad hit? Oh, well, all right. We got guys that are working right now. Okay, they're doing their jobs. Cool. They turned for the better. They must have heard my rant the other uh, last week. I'm see, look at me. I'm making a difference. Not really. They probably actually, you know, decided it was a good idea, mainly because of the fact that well, that kind of hit it could possibly paralyze a guy like that. You know that that's that's a thing that could happen when you hit a guy from behind into the boards head first. Dangerous hit. Okay, cool. Got a suspension. So let's go over now to Saturday night. Calgary is playing Montreal. Why is Montreal in the discussion again, kids? Well, Dylan Dubé, who, by the way, was actually questionable going into that game for Carol, for Calgary, pucks behind the goal. Yes, Barry Kakaniemi kind of has head turn, trying to play it on his backhand. He's looking, so if for, for those that are watching, he, he was looking like this, kind of looking backwards behind him. Doesn't see what's coming in front of him. He's behind He's behind the goal. So for those that didn't hear, he was looking behind him. If you couldn't hear me! So... I'm trying to make sure I have this all-inclusive, not just for our viewers, either on 12 Ounce Sports or our Kula Show replay on our YouTube channel. I want to make sure that the people listening on the podcast form kind of know what's going on. I'm trying to paint a visual. So Kakanyemi, left-handed shot, backhands it around the back, back against the grain, up on the right-wing boards in the defensive zone. Dylan Dubé comes behind the net and just runs over Kakanyemi. Now, here's the problem. If you watch in real time, you see two things. One, Dubé's hands go out. Kakanyemi's head goes back. Now, kids. Oh, we got a fight, by the way. We got a fight. Looks like, who is that? Gosh almighty. 
I can't tell. Nick Holden? Nick Holden in a fight for the Rangers. Can't tell who the other guy is for Pittsburgh. And a fight in a hockey game. Look at that. Cool. Gotta love live reactions. So back to the story. Dylan Dubay hits... Oh, it's Howden, not Holden. Let's say I was not even the same team. Howden. Fight. No, no, no I'm off track of where I was at. Good Lord. ADDs. Casper Kapanen. Good boy. Look at that kiddo. Look at Kapanen. We talked about him on the show with Jimmy Rickson earlier. Look at that to end the period. That's how you do it, kids. I love that. Love Casper Kapanen. Oh, boy. The door's opening. Are you coming in now? Oh, Wixie's coming in now? You think Wixie's going to call me down? Kelly's saying maybe. Casper Kapanen got into a fight. From the Leafs. Well, I'm just telling you what happened. You remember Cappy? Yeah, we talked to him with Jimmy with Jimmy Rinksner. What? I know, I'm zigzagging. Listen, I'm trying to get to the... I'm, I'm avoiding the inevitable, which is about to happen. Kel, Kelly, by the way, is at the door right now. I'm trying to whisper over here, but I can't hear because I have these awesome beats on. Yeah, thank you. These are yours, not mine. <laughs> well, you told me I could use them. But anyways, so do you want to keep the door open or do you want to hear everything? Are you going to bring Wixie out? If She's going to bring... Oh, she's going to pick up Wixie. She's trying to make everyone feel better before the bad happens. There she is. Oh, good Lord. How close can you get to the camera? <laughs> There's Wixie. Hey, look, everyone. There's Wixie girl. Wixie girl. Wixie's on the screen. Listen, this this is literally like, hey, guys, good time. There's a <laughs> That is a beautiful show. You don't have to sit here for a while. And I, I see, no one can hear me, though. <laughs> that's going to be the best part of the, that's, I'm going to have to spend like an hour trying to screenshot that, by the way. You know that, right? Like, that's what's going to have to happen. Oh, there's Kelly, too. Oh, she's showing you love her dog. All right. Get out of here so I can yell and scream, please. I love you. Bye, Wixie. Say bye. Oh, look at the little pupper. She's so cute and adorable. You hit her with the door. <laughs> Anyways. <laughs> you going to close the door, hon? Or? Okay. She'll just have to hear me yell. Oh, she closed it. Okay. Back to our regular scheduled program before we just completely got derailed off the hinges there by, a, well, you know, a beautiful puppy. Because, you know, I, I got, I, yell. I love that dog. She's had some issues with going to the bathroom the last couple days, but I still love her. She's a beautiful dog. That's why she's going to be the thumbnail for this video again on our YouTube channel, because how can you not have a face like that as the face of your show? Our unofficial mascot, Haley Wickenheiser Kuhl. So back to the game Saturday. Calgary going up against the Montreal Canadiens. Yes, Barry Kakanemi gets hit by Dylan Dubay. Okay? And you see Kakanemi's head go back and you think, headshot, right? Well, hold on, kids. We got to take a look at it. Well, Dylan Dubay, okay, hits him in the chest first, and then he rides up and hits him in the head. Okay, well, we'll just have to see what happens. Because I, there was um, cause there, it's a lot of people reaching out to me saying, man, I would love to hear your reaction right after the game. Well, with, that was regarding the Army. Here's the thing about post-game reactions. I'm not sure on how you can react to those kind of hits and those kind of plays because you're just you're waiting for the NHL Department of Player Safety to make an announcement the next day. So you can't really make a reaction right after. You can yell and scream about the NHL needing to do something about it, the league needing to do something about it, but you can't go crazy on what they will or won't do until they make their decision, which is why I saw the hit and I'm like, okay, you did a good job here. You got Kevin Fiala getting suspended. All right. You're one for two on the air. Let's make it two for three. Let's stay above the 50 percentile. How about that, eh? Let's go for 66.6666666666666666666666666666666666666666666666666666666666666666666666666666666666666666666666666666666666666666666666666666666666666666666666666666666666666666666666666666666666666666666666666666666666666666666666666666666666666666666666666666666666666666666666666666666666
if you go two for three. Then we found out the next day, the NHL Department of Player Safety determined that the hit was unavoidable. All right, kids. Tell me, because I'm yelling and screaming here, getting ready. Tell me what makes Dubay's hit on Kakaniemi unavoidable. Yes, the contact was unavoidable. It's not a whole lot of room behind the net, and Dubay was going to make contact with Kakaniemi. I get that. Watch the replay, though. If Dylan Dubay hits Kakaniemi with his shoulder, with his shoulder, that's this thing right here. That's this little, you know, part of your body. I'm not knowing exactly what the term exact anatomical term is for I could too bad Kelly's not here she probably could have told me but if he uses that it catches him in the chest and maybe Kakaniemi gets a little bit of whiplash remember Stefan DaCosta the hit he took from Dion Phaneuf what 10 years ago now the whiplash one that he got a concussion but that was because of whiplash was not a hit to the head it was a clean check right to the chest his head whiplashed that's okay I know it's bad to have a concussion but in terms of the aggressor making the play that's okay. That's not a suspendable offense. Hitting a guy in the chest and whatever happens to his head after that, that's not his fault. What is his fault is when Dubay drives through with his hands like he's NHL 2002 trying to punch through the guy's chest and catching him in the head. I don't care if it hits him in the chest first. He makes head contact. Head contact. Those two words right there. That's rule 48. That's the rule. Okay? You make contact with the head. That right there deserves punishment. I'm okay with a hit to the chest that, you know, caused a concussion just because of what may have happened. Okay? May have accidentally had some issues. You know, he had just whiplashed his head. Kakanami gets that way. That's okay. Kakanami as of right now is not injured on the play. But the fact that he catches him in the head is regardless of the fact. You hit him in the head, it should be some form of a penalty. There was no penalty called in the play. However, the league has an opportunity to make things right. The league, by that I mean the NHL Department of Player Safety. So what do they do? So what do they do? Absolutely nothing. Again. Why am I yelling about this again? It's one thing if I do it once a month or once every other month during the season across 82 games. Yeah, there's a lot of chances for things to change, right? A lot of time for things to kind of aerate and then it happens later on in the season. When I have to go on this show back-to-back weeks and complain about it, there's a problem. There's an issue with this Department of Player Safety. Oh, but Kakanami was okay. It's okay. I oh, I Maybe on that hit, it was not nearly as bad as Armia's. The hit that Armia took at the hands of Tyler Myers. Or pardon me, the shoulder to the head from Tyler Myers. That, I get. But find him. Or... Give him a game. Don't just let him walk for doing that. He went through with his hands to his head, okay? This is not a double punch move in boxing. This is hockey. You're supposed to hit with the bot. Do a body check, not a fist check, not a punching check. This, you're supposed to hit him with the chest and not make any head contact. While I'm not big fans with the international rules, at least the double IHF has one thing right. Any hit to the head, regardless, uh, unintentional or intentional, two and a ten. Every single time that hit would sit Dubé on his butt in the box for 12 minutes because he has to serve the two. Well, unless he's Canadian score, but he has to serve the extra 10 after that. That's a good rule. That's a rule the NHL should take on because guess what? Go in all the minor hockey systems, all the youth hockey and high school hockey, hit someone in the head or from behind, two and a 10. Good. That protects players because you really can't just like suspend players in travel hockey because it's 
hard to do that because to actually track those games is very difficult for hockey organizations. Trust me, I know. I know a lot of people that run minor hockey minor hockey associations. It's very tough. But every time there's a hit like that, there should be a some form of penalty, some form of, I don't say restitution, just something to actually send a message to these players that it's wrong. Yet here I am again having to talk about this because someone up there, George Peros, doesn't feel like making a call. Doesn't feel like making a decision that actually could tell players, hey, you can't drive your hands through someone's chest because you may catch them in the head. It's a dangerous play. Thank goodness Kakinami's not hurt. Is that the reason why? Well, clearly it doesn't matter because Armia still has a freaking concussion. Okay? This is the problem in the National Hockey League. The fact that, again, I have to complain about this. I, I'm peeking out my dang mixer right now, and I don't care because you have you continually do the same thing. I mean, it's the definition of insanity. I get it. I am here expecting a different result. But then again, why would I expect anything less from the best hockey league in the world? And I say that using quotations now because I don't know what the best hockey league in the world is because you think the best hockey league in the world would have the best decision makers in the world to make the right decisions when it comes to protecting the players that are playing in the league. Why am I doing this? If I have to do this one more dang time, I'm going to throw my laptop through the camera, which is not that hard because the camera's pretty small and the laptop's pretty big, but I don't care. It's not that difficult to see that that was a very aggressive hit. That hit could have led to an injury. Oh, but it didn't hurt him. Oh, he's okay then. We don't need to penalize him. No, send a message. Tell Dubay, hey, you can't do that. One game, sit on your butt, put on your suit, go eat some popcorn up there, or you know, make sure you wear your mask while you're doing it. Do that. Make an example out of some players here. Like I said, that Tom Wilson 20 suspension is the only possible reason that the Angel Department of Player Safety shows that they're actually working. Matt Roy gets put in from behind. Oh, so you're telling me a guy has to be risked for paralysis in order to actually get suspended. A guy actually has to force a guy's head into the boards, and then maybe we can suspend him. But God forbid, God forbid, a guy that gets hit in the head because brain damage is a, it's a thing, guys. There's a lot of people that have it, that have played professional sports, hockey, football, Heck, even baseball. There's a lot of pitchers that got hit in the head or catchers that got hit in the head. Gosh, your Uncle Stanton's jaw will never be the same ever again. That's why he's got that little thing for baseball. Why in the world is it that difficult to make a decision to tell a player that he can't do an illegal, illegal play? Oh, because it was unavoidable. I'm sorry, George Peros. I'm sorry that clearly... The hits you've taken in the head has gotten to you because I don't understand what makes you think that that's a clean play, okay? There is no reason, no reason. Like I said, thank God Kakanyemi's okay, okay? Because if you punch a guy directly in the head, guess what? It hurts a little bit, okay? I, there's Here's the crazy part. You know how I talked a little bit about last week how the NHL has gone, you know, oh my goodness, we're letting these guys run like it's 1994. At least, here, let me set the stage for you. 1993 playoffs, Washington, New York Islanders. Pierre Turgeon picks the puck away from Dale Hunter, scores the goal. Dale Hunter then runs Pierre Turgeon into the boards. Guess what? That was 15 games for Dale Hunter, and all Turgeon got was a separated shoulder. Now, yes, it ended up derailing the Islanders. They were not ready when they took on the Canadians in the, later on in the playoffs. I understand that. But here's the thing. That was 1993, and they actually suspended people for illegal plays, for cheap shots. And where are we today? Where supposedly 
were supposedly supposed to be here to legitimately have the right people in charge. Sorry, I just had to stop for a second because all of a sudden my recording stopped in my audacity. I'll have to keep, I'm have to look at that for a second. But here I am complaining about this again because looking back at how they called it back in the day, back when they supposedly didn't care about the health of players and how they're calling it today. A guy gets hit in the boards hard, separates his shoulder after a whistle. That's 15 games. Nowadays, you hit a guy directly in the head. What does that get you? Nothing. You punch a guy in the face with your hands. Nothing. Oh, but it was unavoidable. Well, then don't hit him with your hands. Hit him with your shoulder. That's okay. That's a legal hit when you hit him shoulder to chest. That's okay. Yet this Yahoo that is running this Department of Player Safety who went to Princeton, George Peros went to Princeton, an Ivy League school. Clearly, you're wrong by the based on the fact that you think you have an Ivy League education because there's people that are working at junior colleges that have brighter ideas than you. This is embarrassing on the league's end, on the Department of Player Safety's end, and on these players' ends that think they can get away with this kind of thing because there's no precedent set. There is no one there regulating what is right and what is wrong. This is continuing to be a problem because, once again, I've talked about this for two weeks in a row. I am sick of it. I am seriously going to almost retweet. I'm going to retweet this weekly, weekly, and tag the Department of Player Safety so maybe, just maybe, they'll see that there are people that are angry. Don't And listen, the Canadians are not even my team. You guys know this. Montreal is not my team. So, but, so that means, well, I don't, I don't have any affiliation with them. I just see the fact that there are two players that got put in very dangerous positions and the hits that they received went uncalled, went unnoticed, and for some reason, someone out there thinks what they have done with Tyler Myers did to Joel Armia and what Dylan Dubay did, yes, Barry Kakanyemi, they think that is okay. That now you've set the precedent that you can go out there and do that and get away with it because it's unavoidable, because Tyler Myers is too tall, or because he had no room to go. No. If you hit him in the head, it's a penalty, it should be a suspension, something should be done. Nothing is right. Nothing, calling nothing, saying nothing, saying that it's okay to do it. Guess what's going to happen, kids? That is how you get more players concussed in this league. That's how you have people end up getting hit in the head more often. And that's what happens when you have guys like Sidney Crosby get hit in the head. But Tyler, that was 10 years ago now. Blah, blah, blah. There's a reason why Brandon Shanahan had to come in and be Department of Player Safety head. Because someone had to do something because their star player, the NHL's face at that time, had to sit a whole year out. And look how far we've regressed in the last 10 years. What would that be suspended for nowadays? Drew Steckles hit on Sidney Crosby. Probably nothing, right? Because who cares? Who cares about headshots? Who cares about guys getting concussions? Nobody would care. Nobody. Clearly. So why not get someone in there that actually gives a rat's behind? Because that would only make sense, right? Welcome to the NHL, though, where they make dollars and not cents by the decisions that they make by allowing George Peros to continue to have a job. I'm not saying I'll do a better job. I'm not going to say that. But at least I would look at that hit and say, that's wrong. $5,000. At least. At least show that you're trying instead of, well, uh, I remember when I played a game once back in the AHL because I'm George Peros and I only played 10 minutes or played like 10 minutes a week in the National Hockey League. 
I remember I ran into a guy by accident once and gave him a concussion. Did you punch him? Did you use both of your fists to his face there, George? Well, not necessarily, but the situation persisted itself where I couldn't get away from the hit. But you didn't hit him in the head. No, I just hit him with my shoulder right to his chest. That's okay, right? Yeah, that's okay. But what if I punched him in the face? Well, that would have been wrong, George. Okay, perfect. Uh, yeah, that would have been wrong. We should definitely get him suspended if I had done that. Cool, you're the head of Department of Player Safety. Is that how the interview went? Because literally, it was not based on any logical decisions he ever made. Uh, make sure I wasn't around a timer. I'm like, how long have I been going on this? Too long, obviously. It's... It's incredibly frustrating that I have to I literally have to watch this every single week. I have to watch players get hurt, players don't get suspended because of every week something happens. And I get it. Not there are gonna be plays that are gonna be accidental. Hits that aren't intended to be in the head or from behind or whatever. A guy falls in the boards awkwardly. I get it. But how do you get rid of those hits? Is you set precedence on those hits. Well, George, I couldn't get away with it. He, you know, he turned his back or whatever. Well, don't go into that corner so hard. Well, George, I'm six foot seven. I'm Tyler Myers. I, I couldn't avoid the hit. Well, uh, well, uh, you're just going to have to, you're going to have to let it go. What do you mean? Let it go. I mean, I, I, I could, I, I hit him right in the shoulder, but it's a head check, right? I mean, I'm sorry, but I, well, am I going to get suspended? No, you're fine. Clearly, like you said, you're six foot seven and nothing's wrong. Couldn't avoid it because you're so short. Well, then, so I don't get anything, so I'm free to go? Yeah, you're free to go. Making up excuses for hits to the head is an absolute joke. It'll never make sense to me. I won't ever understand it. But, geez, I hit my, hit my, hit my mic stand so hard. I... I hate talking about this, but here we are again, literally having to complain about what continues to happen every single season. No one's getting penalized. No one's getting a slap on the wrist. No one's getting anything right now in this league because of the precedent that is being set by the NHL Department of Player Safety. I get it. You you want you want there's there's no gray area. You want to have yes, you want to hear players takes on why they shouldn't get suspended. I get that. But if you if you let a guy like Tyler Myers think he can go across the ice and hit a guy that isn't suspecting a hit, that right there is wrong. That right there is the problem. There's just nothing more to it. There's nothing more to the problem when you are allowing, you're just allowing guys to make illegal plays, hit illegally. If you are, if you're allowing players to do it, they'll keep doing it. There should never be a gray area with hits to the head, black or white. You make head contact, sit in the box or suspend them, something, penalize them in some form. You're going to eventually realize that you're going to have a second coming of concussion, CTE protocols that, listen, I, I get it. If there were, if it was a whiplash hit and he got hurt, that's okay. Not, not okay, but it's understandable then if what happens. That's just natural physics. But if a guy hits him in the head, shoulder, elbow, whatever, unintentional or not, it's a penalty, it's a suspension, 
and it may just clean up this hockey, clean up hockey. There's nothing more to it. If I have to talk about it one more damn time, though, I, I, you're going to hear me call the NHL offices live on the show. I don't care. I will, I, I, with my phone, I will call the NHL player offices and request to speak to George Peros. And I'll do it live. I don't care if it gets me, I'll probably get me sued by somebody. I'll call him, though, and I'll leave him a message. I'm like, hey, can you leave George Peros a message for me? Yeah, what's, what message do you want? Listen, George. You suck. And, like, I, and that's what I get. People are like, oh, Tyler, you're just a keyboard hero, keyboard warrior, whatever. You're yelling about it on your show. You would never say it's George Peros' face. One of two things would happen. One, I would just avoid talking to George Peros because, as my mom always said, or, well, as my, my guidance counselor and my mom always said, if you have nothing nice to say to someone, don't say it at all. But if I had to talk to him and he asked me a question, hey, Tyler, I heard you said some bad things about me on your show, calling me out for doing a bad job. Yeah, George, you suck at your job. Now, I maybe have to fight him, and, you know, for those who have actually watched George Peros in his day, I'd probably lose that fight pretty handily. But as they always say, it's not how many wins, how many you show up for. And I'd probably lose the fight, but the point was there. I would tell George Peros that I don't like him. George Peros has somehow officially eclipsed the Gary Bettman level of disdain and disliking on this podcast and this show, which is impressive if you give the fact that, that we did an entire show about me yelling about Gary Bettman, which, by the way, I believe it was this day in 1993 when Gary Bettman took office in the National Hockey League. Now, I don't know who the head of Department of Player Safety was back in the day, but that means Gary Bettman was part of the NHL when Dale Hunter was suspended for hitting Pierre Turgeron Back in 1993, when it was all gun-ho and hit him, and, oh, you just rub some dirt on it. Oh, you got a little dizzy. That's okay. Walk it off. That was the NHL back then. They still suspended players, at least back then. Nowadays, it's like, ah, eh, whatever. Remember Dino Cicerelli had to sit one day in jail for slashing a guy in the head twice? Remember those days, kids, when they actually penalized people for doing stupid stuff? Not anymore, though. That would be dumb if you actually penalized someone for trying to go after someone's head. But whatever. That's the NHL we live in now. Oh, moly, moly, moly. This is this is getting rough for everybody, isn't it? This is... I, listen, I, I get it, folks. It's, it's tough for me. It's tough for you. It's tough for your dog. I don't know about my dog. My dog just hears me yelling and screaming. She wants to make sure I'm okay. I'm okay now. I, that's why I was drinking water a lot before I went into that, because I knew I was going to yell again. I, I think it was a little bit calmer than last week's, I think. I don't think it was nearly as bad. We got the Rangers and Pens are in the second period right now. Still one nothing Pittsburgh. And yep, once again, make sure they understand that coming up after this, the talking miners of the Rando here on Twelve Ounce Sports. Also, be sure to if you want to watch that and turn it on over to the Twitch to watch the NWHL big games in Buffalo and Boston. Winner plays Toronto in the semifinals of the National Women's Hockey League Isabel Cup. Let's take a look at some of the games, what to watch for this upcoming week. Calgary and Winnipeg starting tomorrow. They have a back-to-back. The Jets and the Flames, two teams that are, I don't say underperforming, but you wonder how long the Jets can hang on. The Jets are not doing too bad this year. They still have Connor Hellebuck. And I, you think that you want to get Lorraine Bressois in one of those games because you want him to play more. You don't want to tire Connor Hellebuck out this year, especially with the, you know, with the contract situation with the Jets and, now you're going to have Pierre-Luc Dubois in there, and that could be a guy that can really ramp up their, their deep centerman that they already have in Winnipeg. Calgary, you have a good goaltender, and you know you have Sammy Bennett asking 
or at least according to Darren Ferris' agent. God, who would have thought? A player with Darren Ferris' agent speaking out about something. Who would have thought, right, kiddos? But Sammy Bennett may be wanting out of there, but he's still doing well in Calgary. He's not, you know, he's not a superstar. He's not a top six guy, but he's playing on a good hockey team. I don't know why he wouldn't want to stick around. But if you want a bigger role and you want more money, I can get where Sammy Bennett's coming from. However, Calgary is a team that I think could still finish in the top four in that North Division. It may be a little bit tougher this year, but if you have Markstrom going, that's always good. Big save Dave Riddick. If he can come in when he needs to, that's great. I like the looks of these two games because you may see both. You may see Hellebuck go up against Jacob Markstrom. And then on the flip side, you may see going up Lorraine Bessois versus Dave Riddick. Now, I think the big matchup we're going to love to see is Matthew Kachuk going up against the Winnipeg Jets. Now, remember, there was Matthew Kachuk, I believe. I think it was, was it Mark Scheifele or Blake Wheeler last year in the playoffs that he took out, and the league didn't do anything about it, which, <laughs> NHL Department Player Safety, I don't need to get back into that again. we only got 15 minutes left around the show. So I wonder how this the emotion how the emotions are going to be there. Both games are in Winnipeg Tuesday and Thursday. So a couple big games in the North Division. Also Tuesday and Thursday, Minnesota and Colorado. Very intriguing. Colorado winning last night. Minnesota, this could be, I think, their real first big test. They played well against the call or the California teams. And now, you know, Nathan McKinnon left the game yesterday. He's currently day-to-day. You know, will he be in the lineup tomorrow night? We'll have to wait and see. But in terms of seeing if the Wild are for real, the games when they play against Minnesota, or not Minnesota, the Colorado and Vegas and St. Louis, those will be the games they really got to watch for because that'll be the telltale sign if Winnipeg, Winnipeg, keep getting mixed up now, Minnesota actually shows that they could be a contender. Because I love to see Winnipeg and Minnesota in the playoffs. Winnipeg, especially in the North, but who knows? Minnesota, though, like I said, they picked them fourth in the West. I think they can do it because looking at the rest of this Pacific division, this West division, I mean, Anaheim, shoot, that game against St. Louis on Saturday, good Lord. Poor Johnny Gibson didn't get any help and didn't get any much better from there for the Ducks. So, I mean, well, I think there's a good chance Minnesota can make the playoffs, but will they be able to compete against the top three teams in the in the division. That'll be the telltale sign. We'll see that in a couple of games against the avalanche Thursday and Saturday. You got Toronto versus Vancouver, Vancouver, who is good, but bad at the same time. They did well against Ottawa, but they've struggled against other teams. Montreal came in there and had a couple of real good games against the Canucks. Uh, Vancouver has a lot of They're at that point. Now we talked to James Sabolski last week. This is the team that has expectations now and the fan base knows it. Last couple years before, maybe not so much. You see, you know, in a 7-10 matchup last year, they had a good run, got through the first round, beat St. Louis, took Vegas to seven games. And now they're at a point where, you know, Brock Besser needs to step up. And he played well yesterday. But this team needs to, you know, they need to look, or not, on Saturday, excuse me. But they need to show that they can be for real. And going up against the Leafs team, that seems a lot more structured. Offense is still there. Matthews, Marner, they're still there. You have guys like Travis Boyd, though, chipping in. Pierre Engvall in and out of the lineup. He's doing well. Miko Lenton getting his first point on Saturday on Zach Hyman's goal. I mean, you have John Tavares there. Frederick Anderson didn't look I mean, didn't look bad in that game against Edmonton in either game. You know, I, you wonder if you see Jack Campbell in one of those games. 
against the Canucks. And will you see you know, Demko got first star of the week last week in the NHL? You'll probably see him get one or two of those games, maybe both, like I said, because Braden Holpe has been good at times, but he hasn't been great. But then again, I'm pretty sure that was kind of the thought process when they brought him from Washington saying, all right, this is a 1A, 1B situation, and whoever's the hotter goaltender will be the 1A. So maybe right now, Demko and Vancouver is looking like the 1A. So those will be two good games against two teams, two fan bases that just don't like each other based on the fact that Vancouver, the biggest city in the West versus Toronto, the biggest city in the East in Canada, have them go up against each other no matter what. I mean, of course, Toronto and Vancouver, they played in the 94 Conference Finals, and they've had some classic matchups over the years. So I'm pretty sure I, of course, there was the, I don't want to say the Tiger Williams rivalry, but Dave Tiger Williams, when he scored against the Leafs in Toronto, he did the riding the sticks. That's what Tiger Williams loved to do because he's such the character that he was. Now he's like all Leafs and stuff like that. It's kind of cool. But I, I mean, a couple good games there. A lone game Wednesday or not a lone game. We'll get to Isles and Pitt in a minute, but Boston and Philadelphia Wednesday, Friday. That's going to be an interesting matchup because you have Boston who Came back from a 3-0 deficit on Saturday against Winnipeg. Winnipeg. Gosh, why do I keep talking about Winnipeg? <laughs> Came back 3-0 against Washington. Ended up losing in overtime. And you're right. This is a Boston Bruins team that's a lot different from last year. Halak and Rask are, you know, they're getting older. They maybe not, they haven't started as sharp as they did last season, or last two seasons for that matter. But I really think that the the Bruins can still pull it around and come around. They still got Bergeron. You know, they still have Marshan and Pasternak is he started the season slow, but of course he was, you know, he's hurt for a little bit. So give Boston some time. I think they'll get back into form. But they go up against a Philadelphia team that, you know, with Carter Hart, Brian Elliott didn't look too good yesterday, but you know, Carter Hart is your goaltender. You have a good strong back end. You have Travis Connected getting healthy scratch. I don't know if that means anything with the Lane Vigneault, but the Flyers are looking like a team that if Boston can't pick up the slack, you may be talking about Philly winning the division. Philly or Washington, again, like last year. At least last year in the Metro, I mean. Philly or Washington. Obviously, Boston was second in the Atlantic division. So, I, it's going to be interesting to see how it all plays out in that season series. I think that's gonna be two, those are going to be a bunch of tough games. Because despite both teams having good offenses, both teams can play t- down and tough and dirty if they need to. So I like the Flyers because despite having Voracek being older and Giroux being older and, you know, not getting any younger as Provorov, even though he's still fairly young, but he's getting up there. He'll be getting up there in age in a year or two. I think that that team is a very good team heading into the playoffs if they can make it their knock on wood. Going back to the Pittsburgh Penguins, who are still up one nothing on the Rangers right now. They got the Islanders on Saturday. Now, it's only a, a rare one-off this year, mainly because Pittsburgh's supposed to play New Jersey this upcoming week, but they will not because of New Jersey's COVID shutdown, which it goes through at the end of the week. Islanders and Pittsburgh, I, I look at this game as a telltale sign for both teams. Pittsburgh, you know, we talked with Jimmy earlier in the show, Huxorpic from SB Nation's Pittsburgh. those are the two teams that could be battling for that fourth spot unless either team really turns it around, whether the Penguins go on a run or the Islanders start dominating defensively like they've done over the past couple of seasons since Barry Trotz really has shown up in Long Island. Because if, you know, if you can't rely on your goaltender, if Sorokin can't step up like everyone thinks he's going to and Varlamov 
doesn't show that doesn't put up the numbers like he did last year, then goaltending becomes a big question mark in for the Islanders. And looking at it from the Pittsburgh side, Casey dismissed he's you know three and zero right now. He was in he's in net tonight, like we talked about against the Rangers, looking good so far. You know if their goaltending can't get figured out in Pittsburgh, they may be in trouble as well. I think they're doing an, an okay job with the Penguins. Yet I'm not quite sure though how long these two goaltenders can last before the league figures them out, right? And I, 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 I'm beginning to become a, a, a believer in Pittsburgh. A believer? Believer? Penn's believer? I don't know what it, what it would be called. But I, I think they'll be in the thick of it, and this will be a telltale sign of how each team will shape up, depending on how they do on Saturday. So a lot more games, of course, on the schedule, but those are just a few to what to watch for and I you know, just gave a couple takes on how the games may go. Anyways, so oh, just wrapping up here on the Cule Show for this Monday, February the 1st. Talking Miners here coming up next on 12 Ounce Sports. Make sure you catch the replay tomorrow. It may take a little bit because I was looking at, down on my screen. I kind of stopped for a second because I was having issues with my memory, I guess. So I have to figure that out and probably have to re-record everything which the wife I'm sure will love, but I'll just wake up really early in the morning tomorrow and do some editing. That's why I'm, I'm sure she'll be okay with that, right? Because I want to get you guys the replay as soon as possible so you didn't miss any of the awesome interviews we had today. But Jimmy Rixner from SB Nation's Pensburg. That was at the top of the show. So if you're watching right now, like I said, tune in tomorrow to the replay. Go on early on in the show for about the 15-minute mark. We'll be chatting with Jimmy there. We talked about the Penguins, how they're doing this year, the goaltending, like I said. Sidney Crosby, Teddy Bluger! And Kasper Kapanen, who's gotten into a fight tonight. So there's a first time for everything for the Pittsburgh Penguins. We'll be back next week, Monday. Kind of thinking about it, thinking ahead a little bit. We'll have our college hockey scoreboard. And we'll be recapping the NWHL Isabel Cup in full because we will have a champion, knock on wood. Hopefully there's no more positive tests. I knock on the wood softly so you don't hear it too much because I like this thing to get wrapped up and I want to see a champion and I want to see the great viewership numbers that they're going to have on NBC Sports Network. I'll be, like I said, I have a game Friday night, but I'm going to find a way to watch it because let's be honest, Davenport's a big deal for me. That's where I get paid to work, but also the fact that it's probably one of the biggest moments in the NWHL's history to have their final live on NBC Sports. I remember they had their, they had an all-star game when it was in Nashville, 2019, 2019, I think it was. So they're obviously, you know, they've been on national TV before, but not for their championship. This is the closest I think they'll get to the Clarkson Cup and how it was on live on Sportsnet for the last two seasons where they had their biggest numbers ever in the CWHL before they folded, of course, because that was a wonderful time for women's hockey. So that about wraps it up. I know we're ending a little bit early today, but it's okay, kiddos. I'm going to go off here and I'm going to drink some water, get my throat kind of back to normal getting a little raspy here i gotta make sure i save it now that i'm back to broadcasting again i gotta make sure i start drinking my tea and have my cough drops so i don't sound like this live on the air can you imagine can you imagine that coming out of that big side shoots these cars <laughs> wouldn't sound too good you know you don't have rick sanchez calling hockey for you because that may be entertaining to some but not so entertaining to others <laughs> So that is it for this week's episode of the Kilo Show, folks, here on 12 Ounce Sports. Once again, if you missed some of the episode, that's okay. Just check out the replay on the Kilo Show's YouTube channel tomorrow or your favorite podcatcher. 
Make sure you also jump on our social media accounts and follow us at The Kula Show on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. And maybe we'll do some more episodes coming up here soon on our own channel. I know there's a Monday later on that I may need to do live on The Kula Show channel, and then I'll do it. It'll be broadcasted here on the 12 Ounce Sports Network. So be sure to stay tuned for that. If you follow us, you'll know about it. I am Tyler Kula, folks, saying thank you once again for tuning into this week's episode of TKS. We'll be back next Monday here on 12 Ounce Sports. Until then, thank you very much, and have a good one. Goodbye. Frozen February. Who the heck thinks of that slogan? How hard could it be?